Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mother, and it is the two-year anniversary of the podcast. That's 45 episodes. Absolutely incredible. Thanks so much to the listeners for tuning in for the past two years. I also want to thank my wonderful guests who have been so generous with their time and their insights. Also, I want to extend my gratitude to the people at Talk Film Society, especially Editor-in-Chief Marcelo Pico, who has been such a guiding light on this project. To mark the occasion, I have an extended episode on Richard Linklater's influential classic before trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. I'm really, really excited to present this to all of you. I have four wonderful guests lined up. So without further ado, let's join Celine and Jesse in Europe. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Good make me be true. Could the magnificence that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. I am delighted to be joined by Connor O'Donnell and Dan Mecca of the B-Side Podcast. Hello guys, how are you? Hello, hello, we're great. We're hello. Great. You? Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to great to be here to talk before, before the, the before of the sunrise. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, yeah, really excited to be doing this uh, podcast episode with you guys. And um, yeah, I really, um, I really, I really love Before Sunrise. I watched it twice over the last couple of days, um, uh, just because like I usually don't watch movies multiple times for the podcast, but with this movie, I just wanted to like go back to that. Go back to that feeling. You know, it captures such a, like, unique... It's such a unique experience. It it Uh, definitely hits differently later in life. Yeah, uh, yeah. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. What your, you know, history is with Before Sunrise and the trilogy as a whole. Yeah. you you go first. I'll I'll go. I... So this is funny. I think... This can't be true. I was trying to think about this. I want to say that... In around 04, my parents, my dad, my, my parents would get the New Yorker for a period of time there. And I read a review. It must have been Brody, Richard Brody. Maybe it was maybe it was the other guy. It was one of them. They wrote a review of Before Sunset. And um, I want to say they called it like a miracle of a movie, right? I always remember like a quote like that about, yeah, about yeah. Before Sunset. And at that time, I was in high school. I was writing plays, reading David Mamet, reading, you know, whatever, waiting for Godot, the usual stuff. And um, I wanted to maybe write and be a movie person. And um, I, like, loved Ethan Hawke, and I still love Ethan Hawke. And I really sought out Before Sunset, and I really do think I saw it first. I think that might be true. And I think I loved it. And, of course, it's a weird one to watch first because it's so entangled with the – with before sunrise i think i must i must have immediately watched before sunrise right after i feel like i remember renting it and so before sunset for me has always been the bellwether of the of the trilogy which i think a lot of people would 
I guess, say that now, right, when we have all three. And even when we were talking about it, I think me and Connor on the side were like, God, God, I kind of wish we were talking about Before Sunset. But it was really nice to revisit Before Sunrise because, um, yeah, it's to be 32 uh, with a new father, married for a few years. To watch it is like, to just watch a, a new movie, like watch yeah. rewatching it is like mm-hmm. watching like a movie I'd never seen before. I was certainly like, oh yeah, this is different than what I remember, and not in a bad way at all. I mean, I think the beauty of these movies is, um, you know, we could talk about kind of comps to these movies. There are very few, but um, it's unbelievable. It's a time machine in a, in a way for the viewer. So yeah, I, I, it really all started with Before Sunset for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I guess to to piggyback off of that like i i if i'm being honest i think my experience with this movie is probably through you dan because i feel like i feel like you had mentioned when we became friends and early in college that 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 this series was like one of your favorites or whatever and i had only seen like a handful of link later movies at that point too like you know as like a college freshman or whatever and um and so i I watched. I I went back and I watched them in order, um, and it. I felt. I think I felt similarly where I felt. You know, they like get better, and you do kind of. You mentioned the miracle of a movie thing because to me, uh, with this franchise, it's just it. It is uh, as a whole to me some kind of a miracle like that. Well, yeah, they, and, yeah, good. Well, just that they kind of never managed to really fuck it up, which is amazing to me right yeah, like yeah. and each each it it does what a great trilogy does which is like and i kind of realized this looking rewatching uh before sunrise is that it it's colored by the other two in such an interesting way but not oh, ruined yeah. right it's just sort of transformed and it becomes this other movie and it's a movie that i earnestly liked as a younger man maybe in a more relatable way and uh, and have now, you know, th- I think this is maybe I've only seen this movie maybe like two times before rewatching it. And I, I I've definitely revisited the second one the most and probably the third one a little bit less than the second one. But um, but this was my first time revisiting it in a really, really long time. And so it was just fascinating to like watch these objectively watch these two young kids, but also just think about how I felt watching the movie the first time and how I felt at that age and, and all sorts of stuff in kind of a a semi uncomfortable way. Right. Like I, it just, it, you like, you look, you look at certain things, I think both fondly and, uh, and maybe in a slightly melancholy way, if I'm being, (laughs) if I'm being honest, um, there's just a, there's a, I think a wonderful, earnestness to the movie in general that that obviously the franchise itself reckons with later down the line um but but to to kind of see that in myself was was fascinating watching it this time around yeah you know i um uh, last night i watched before midnight and i immediately wanted to rewatch before sunrise again i think just to <laughs> like before midnight is, i mean it's such a challenging film in a lot of ways and sure i think i was like falling for you know what Linklater and julie delpy and ethan hawk were setting up and i was just like i just want to go back to vienna <laughs> and i was like i know i'm falling into this trap but like you know these are i was like but I just want to uh, experience that. And the th- I had this thought that I was like, 
as much as I love before sunset and before midnight and, um, you know, as much as I am, you know, I think all three of them work so well together. I was kind of imagining a world where before sunrise just ends and there's, there are no sequels and, you know, just that the ending of the, you know, the, the cliffhanger yeah. or the question mark, the ellipsis, well, whatever you want to call it. Just like if, you know, to have this romantic comedy, because I think, I think in some ways before sunrise is like the most pure romantic comedy of the three, just totally. because it is, has, it's, you know, it has the meet cute, it has all this stuff and there's no like, there's no mythology to it. There's no like backstory to it. And, you know, I think what I, the things I love about the other two, I feel like, um, also are things that I, I also just love the freshness of before sunrise and how like, mm. You know, it's just two movies, just a movie by these two people who come together, and you know, you don't have to deal with all the baggage of real life, which comes in with the other two films in really brilliant ways. And I was just thinking about the two of them sort of like crystallized in, you know, in amber or fossilized. And you're just like, I just want to think of them forever on the bus or on the train back. (laughs) And, you know, how like reflective with that music playing and the, you know, the montage at the end. And and even and even all you can at, at different stages in everyone's life, I suppose you can relate to any three of the movies, yeah. probably. Yeah. But I was thinking about this more than the sequels. I would argue every person alive can relate to Before Sunrise because yes. haven't yeah. we all? Ha- I mean, even if it's half in your mind. I mean, I know, I know, I can say with certainty, I've had a night's in my younger years where you just, you know, may not, might not have to be as lofty as this movie. And I, and certainly I have never had, you know, this, the full through the night train ride, the whole thing. But I certainly, when I backpacked other travels in my younger years, like had, you know, brief encounter, I mean, brief encounters, that's Mm -hmm. what it is. And and it's all about just kind of, it doesn't even need to be romantic necessarily. It can be kind of just an intellectual connection. I remember like meeting a guy in like, you know, uh, I think Dublin, I want to say, like when I was backpacking, you know, and it was a totally platonic thing, but we were just vibing on like, a, you know, I don't know, James Joyce or some bullshit, you know, who knows? But like you remember these people and then they leave, they go, they go away forever. But you always remember kind of whatever that time frame is. And then, you know, before sunset, it's like I said, I think you can still pull uh, things from it that you, that anybody can relate to, and before midnight, as you said, certainly the most challenging of the three in terms of what it's doing. And you know, I think anybody who's been in a complicated relationship probably can can relate to it. But in a very pure form, like you're saying, before sunrise really is you know the thing. And what's funny to your point about the sequels, I remember vividly when before sunset came out, it was a just kind of a surprise. I think most people were kind of like. Oh, they're making another one, huh? Like the first one was good. It, it wasn't like a, a monster hit or anything. It was like it was a good indie they made for like two million bucks. It made six, right? I think everybody was like, well, "Oh, these are good young actors." And then like nine years later, they make another one. People are like, uh, and it happens to be, you know, a masterpiece. So that you know, but I just think it's funny. You're right. If it had just been one, it would. I think the one movie would have grown, you know, on its own uh, for sure. It, and it's it's interesting too, like to think because I was trying to think about that too. Like I was trying to put myself in a place where I rewatching it this time. I was like, well, what if I don't know what happens, right? Like what it like, and I was trying to kind of like remember that. And I did have a hard time, but I it also like I said, it sort of reinvigorated my love 
for the movie because of how I think smart they were about the trilogy as a whole, where like they, whether they knew it or not, and even without direct callbacks, like there we're introduced to them in this movie sort of through or adjacent to the window of the people that they become in the third movie. Yeah, right. Like yeah. on the train, there's this Brilliant. sort of tired. Yeah. Right. And when I think about that and I, I didn't rewatch the other two, I've, I've, you know, a few couple months ago, I re- I had watched the second one, but I, it's been a minute since I've rewatched before midnight, but I was thinking about that while watching this movie. And it's, it's that kind of stuff that they, I don't think, it's the type of stuff that couldn't exist in the other two movies if you didn't already kind of plant those seeds in this movie. And I think it's why this movie sits so well on its own because it still manages to explore those themes without even totally without Jesse and Celine well, going through them themselves necessarily, even though the trilogy ultimately takes them through those, you know, those situations in life, you get to see pieces of them all in this movie and how they each react to it. And it's fascinating. And re re rewatching, you know, early in this, in sunrise where Jesse's like, picture yourself 15, 20 years from now and you're in a marriage, but it's not, I mean, that's their marriage, right? Like what's, what's, what's great about that scene is you can watch sunrise now and lament the relationship to some degree, I don't think it's all bad. And before men, I think there's something quite beautiful about the movie in a way, but like he's saying it to her in the context of the moment, like it'll be another guy when in fact it is another guy, but it's just him, but he's another guy, right? It's 20 years later. And I think to be able to connect the dots the way that Linklater and Delphi and Hawk do, I mean, you know, it's Pulitzer stuff. I mean, the trilogy as a whole, and I think, like you're saying, Connor, to walk, to go back and re, to rewatch it, and see all of of the of the breadcrumbs there already. You know, the time machine stuff, and then at the end of of, of Midnight, where they're at the outdoor cafe, and he does it again. Yeah. But, you know, the other way, oh, I mean, it's really it makes the first movie. So it's funny. It's both things. Right. I think the first movie is standalone would have still been great because it's already touching on all these things. But they're all helped. Yeah. Because yeah. of the connection. Yeah. Well, I mean, it absolutely blew my mind to find out that this was not a planned trilogy. I was convinced watching <laughs> watching Before yeah. Midnight being like, this has got to be something that they maybe they weren't like plotting it out on like a storyboard or whatever but i was like there's got to be some like the indication that this was something planned you know i can imagine that as um you know as they're making before sunrise maybe there's a germ of, of an idea to continue but i mean i guess officially there was nothing and it blows my mind that all these breadcrumbs were left in before sunrise and that's what makes it so brilliant because it's just all these like themes were just presented so plainly in this film and that they were able to go back and kind of retroactively create a trilogy out of it. I mean, it's just so, it's so, it's so intelligent the the way they wrote this film. And isn't it fascinating too, to think like how the characters later in the movie think about this movie? Like, and like, that's like another thing I love, like, because I was thinking about the, the the piece from midnight that kept sticking in my mind while rewatching this was when, and I, I, I'm going to get the line somewhat wrong, I suppose. But when Ethan Hawke is like, I promise you that there's like some part of me that that that's that young romantic guy that you met in yeah. Austria. Right. Yeah. Or, or it's it's something like that. Right. And I believe it's like near the end of the movie. And 
I was watching this movie and I'm like, I mean, he's kind of romantic, but there are like other things that he like the the bit with the palm reader and stuff where he's like immediately like, well, you know, she's just telling you like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, he's like yeah. refusing to to let kind of any kind of whimsy. Well, he's of, he's he's romantic in a very um, in a very uh, what's it called when you, you look at yourself in the water? What, what's the narcissistic? He's, yeah. yeah, he's romantic in a very narcissistic way. I think one of the biggest things, and you guys can disagree with me, maybe to rewatch it as an older person, is that Jesse's a very he's a punk, right? I mean, I yeah, think when yeah. you when you watch Before Sunrise, you're kind of like this dude's not half as smart as he thinks he is, right? And it's that's like, why I think it's kind of uncomfortable to watch, right? Because yeah. like at least for me, I'm like, oh, I would fucking 100% was and maybe still am that guy to yeah, a yeah. Degree, right it's Same, like a very yeah. <laughs> you're you're holding up a mirror to I, at least for me it was like holding up a mirror a little bit where I think especially because like uh, my wife this is her favorite of the three movies and we like always joke about that in terms of like what that's what, what that, se- what that says are. about yeah, us yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like um, and it's which is funny to think about because to me one of the reasons I think Sunset is my favorite is because it feels the most satisfying but then like in a way it's also a hundred percent not a hundred percent but it's also like really yeah, it's, just, it's also the saddest in a way no yeah. right right because you're like oh this is doomed right like you're like this is it it almost is less uh, I don't know like you because you could argue right and obviously to your point Manish earlier like if you're taking this movie on its own and you're pretending the other two don't exist, it leaves it open in a way. Um, but in a way that allows it to maybe have the happiest ending of the three movies, right? Yeah. Even though, even though I get spoiler alert for sunset, I suppose, but like, even though in sunset they, they get together. Right. And that's, you know, in its own way, kind of very satisfying, but but it is they're they're getting together in a way that you're kind of like, oh, I yeah, okay. Like, but it's all you're also kind of happy to see it. It's this wonderful kind of complicated thing where it's like if they had just left it open, uh, you could at least be hopeful, right? You could at least uh, have that. And I think the yeah, like to 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 your point, Dan, like to look at Jesse as this punk kind of, and I I, I guess I maybe thought that when I watched it for the first time as well. But I think you think it in a way that maybe you think it when you're in your twenties and maybe there's a person who's like exactly like you, that's in a bar and you're like, Oh, that guy seems like he sucks. But in reality, <laughs> you're like the, in reality, you're like the same person right, probably right. like in, t- in terms of the way you behave or the way you think. Um, and that, I mean, we, you know, that's a whole nother thing, but it, it, um, and it's interesting to see, I was expecting, I think my impression of this movie before rewatching it was was some sense of naivete, right? And that's certainly on display here to a degree, but not nearly in the amounts that I remembered or you know ha- had in my head. Um, I think because they find a way to make it so fucking relatable that like even if they are being naive, you're like, yeah, they're maybe short sighted, but I you also used to think the exact same way, so. There's, I guess that's the thing. There's a precision to this movie that feels uh, embarrassing almost. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... Um, I, I, I find their naivete and their sort of smugness or kind of punkiness is 
somewhat endearing because I find it, 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 like you guys were saying, it's so relatable. I was just like them when I, you know, 10 years ago and, you know, I never went to Vienna and met someone on a train, but I imagine that, you know, in the experiences that I've had that are similar to this, it's very much just like, yeah, you just talk all this like philosophical nonsense, but they also, there's this like hyper self-awareness that they have and they're so perceptive of themselves and, um, especially Celine, I find her to be such a fascinating character. You know, I had this, I, I hadn't watched these movies, you know, for years since, and I had in my memory that this was, you know, more of, you know, Jessie's story, and she's the, um, you know, she's just the female lead, she's the leading lady, and I think because of Ethan Hawke and Richard Linklater's collaborations, and, you know, the fact that this was based on Richard Linklater's experience with a woman he met in Pennsylvania, and so I just, but um, I feel like in a lot of ways this movie is so, um, and even though they're both co-leads, I feel like Celine is like almost even more so the like protagonist, I guess, just because you know the movie begins and ends with her, and, and mm-hmm. oh, she's yeah. the she's the instigator in a, in a lot of really subtle, interesting ways. You know, like she goes up to him in the beginning, and she can you know she starts the conversation like. I, you know, when they're watching the German couple fighting and, you know, he says, do you understand what they're saying? And she says, no, the conversation could have just ended, but then she continues with it. And, um, I, you know, she's also the first one to bring up sex, uh, you know, when they're in the lounge car. And Ethan Hawke is sort of, like, really just surprised by by her even mentioning it just because, like, it's so... She just has this, like, agency to her that I found mm-hmm. really surprising and... Mm. Um, because I, I guess, like, I just assumed this movie would be, like, you know, it's from an American filmmaker about an American guy, you know, falling for this French woman. You just I just think that would be centered that way. But I don't know. Um, how do you guys feel about the um, the gender dynamic right. in this film? Well, yeah, I, I, I can't agree more, obviously. You know, if you read about the making of, of this first film, you know... Linklater brought on Kim Krizan, who was an actress but had written a play to some degree, right? So Linklater thought she was a good writer, right? And basically recruited her to some degree with the purpose of kind of making sure that the Celine character, what would become the Celine character, had agency, right? To some degree. And Kim uh, Krizan has talked about that. And obviously she kind of falls away. I think she gets a story credit in Before Sunset and gets a, no- a nomination for that, along with Delpy and, and Hawk and Linkletter. And then I don't know that she's credited uh, in Midnight, actually. But I think she gets like a character is created. Does she? By, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But but point is, you gotta you got to acknowledge her because you're totally right as you get older and you watch it, Celine is the driving force and the mm-hmm. heart and the soul of, of everything. And Jesse, you know, we love Ethan Hawke. We stand a legend, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> but, w- but without Julie Delpy, who, you know, for my money might be the most underrated actress alive. I don't know. I mean, you know, she, yeah. she is, um, you know, look, the two days movies, which, you know, she had even more creative, you know, uh, say in are, are great. Not great, maybe, but very good because of her two days in Paris, two days in New York. I mean, and she's, you know, doing running around Adam Goldberg and Chris Rock in those movies as well. Right. So it's like she is in the Kieslowski movie, uh, uh, same thing. And so, um, yeah, I love her. And I think you're totally right. She um, 
I love how she's the one who basically forces the kiss right on the yeah. Ferris wheel, which is great. And like, who, what, what young man? I was thinking about this. Maybe I'm just a little baby, but like, I was that nervous man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, like being like, and hey, so this feels like a good time, maybe to do a yeah. first kiss. But I, I like, remember, I vividly remember, like when I was rewatching it uh, yesterday, I was like, oh, this hits too, way too close to home. I, I forgot about this. Yeah. I love how that that it's it's like a constant thing, right? Because it, and I think that's what helps put her front and center is it as as sort of a part of the agency is that she's just so outwardly so much smarter than he is, yeah. right? Like yeah. so much, so smarter much more than mature, so much, yeah, just yeah. Kind of and, ready and, and for I, it. Yeah. And I think it's it's what makes all of the movies great to a degree, and obviously. You know, she's not without her own faults or whatever, but like and then that's what makes these movies compelling in terms of the way all of those things kind of swirl around together between the two of them. But it is that she it's that quiet, astute intelligence yeah. <laughs> against against his mouthy braggadocious intelligence, right? Like up its own ass intelligence, even if even if like I mean, like you said, Dan, like he may be smart. At you know, as a twenty-two-year-old or whatever, right, or maybe right, smarter right. than some twenty-two-year-olds, but he's like not as smart as he thinks he is, and she kind of knows it, right? And she well, finds a way to gut-check that. I feel like consistently in yeah. ways that m- make him uncomfortable, probably as a man, and make him uncomfortable as a lover. Like I love when she mentions that he like kisses like an adolescent, I and know, he, like, <laughs> he like he like doesn't know what to do with that information. But like, but she does it in this way that's like wonderful, where she's like, no, but it's like kind of i like like that about you kind of right and like she it, i don't know it's uh yeah well and even and even i was best. saying to connor before we were recording this time around i noticed i like looked up what they were reading on the train when they make eyes at each other and it's hysterical because like the from jump from jump street everybody knows about this dichotomy because she's reading madam <laughs> madame eduarda right which is like <laughs> You know, lesser known, good book, French book, right? Like, you know, a little bit more sophisticated. And he's reading the oft controversial Klaus Kinski biography that has, you know, he got sued 75 times for, right? And it's like, he's, he's like embarrassed to be reading it. You could tell he's like, yeah, I'm the guy guy who's reading the Kinski biography. Yeah, yeah, that's me. And she just kind of smiles. And I just find that moment alone. I mean, I've seen this movie you know 20 times and i never even thought about that until now i was like oh that's funny i mean it's a funny joke you know but i mean this movie has a lot of really interesting um cultural illusions and um i always find it a little pretentious you know when um you know in a movie like this i mean there's so many movies that have been influenced by this and you know they're walking and they're always like oh this reminds me of some art exhibit i saw or like this i have a memory specifically related to what i'm seeing i always think that's a little cringy you know because i'm like i don't know i i don't really remember museum exhibits i've been to when i was you know 12 or whatever but (laughs) in in the mouths of these characters who are already so talky and so um hyper aware of all their feelings and have all this you know stuff going on in, inside their brains it, it makes sense to me and um i especially loved the um one of my favorite scenes in the film is uh when they are 
um, it's like right after the scene at the restaurant when they're talking and about how this feels very otherworldly and you know she says you know we turn back to we turn into pumpkins again in the morning and this sort of like Cinderella illusion which I found to be really charming just because it, you know Cinderella is you know it's not really this like um, high-minded artistic reference you know but it is right. something but it it really recalled to me the like just the the magic of this movie which is that you know real life just doesn't exist for them and the characters they meet along the way in this film like the palm reader the uh the sort of poet poet. yeah like even the bartender who is giving him the (laughs) bottle of wine and the nicest bartender (laughs) in in the world yeah even those two like uh the the actors in the cow play like there's something so magical about this movie and that all these characters are so surreal because uh, they just, uh, this they're almost like these little harbingers of um, romance. You know, these kooky characters who have nothing but positive things to say or do. And even in the morning, you know, they have that one little bit of magic where they har- come across the uh, harpsichord player. And yeah. uh, it's another great moment because you think that music is uh, non-diegetic and then it turns out to be diegetic. I always love when movies do that. I think it's so charming. And uh, I think that this movie, I mean, I don't want to call this movie a fairy tale because I mean, it's a little trite, but it is kind of has that feeling of it where they're just in this other world. I mean, they're in the city in the middle of the night. You know, cities always look so fantastical at, you know, two o'clock in the morning. You know, there's just such a uh, Especially your old yeah, European yeah, city. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah Vienna. Yeah. I was going to say Vienna. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. But like, no, I mean, that's all a really good point because I think a part of the reason this movie works is like both because of its embrace of that quality and also its acknowledgement of that quality as like not a real thing. Right. And, and doing it all without ever feeling like twee. Right. Like I think like when you look at like movies that come after these movies and, but this movie in particular, um, particularly like, you know, in like the indie boom of like the, the late, 2000s ish right mid to late 2000s ish like you get these movies full of characters that do exactly kind of what you were just talking about Manish where like they they're like oh yeah like I remember I saw this thing and now let me use it as an excuse to tell me about this random thing that might be thematic for this movie or whatever right and like she heard it in and it all comes off as pretentious and it's not like those things don't come up in this movie in terms of things that they say or things that they reference, but like the difference is that this movie knows that these are like slightly pretentious 22 year olds and yeah, is like, yeah. is like willing to own that as opposed to being like, look at how cool these kids right, are. Right. right. And like, and it's, uh, but it, but it, but it's embrace of that in terms of like, Oh, look at these two kids just getting swept up in like, in this experience and in this sort of seemingly magical moment of maybe meeting this drunkard poet when all they're actually doing is like, is like meeting a drunkard poet on the side of a river, right? right? Like on like a riverbank, like it's, yeah. there's nothing actually special about it. Yeah. It's, but, it speaks to being young and yeah. how being young allows, you know, the, the way that t- time is for young people of a certain, you know, a certain amount of affluence, right. That would allow them to, sure. You know, save enough money to go to Europe or whatever it is, they can have those adventures, right? And I think you know the the movies that will come later, you know, narrow that view appropriately 
in the sense of you know a marriage and a family and what have you and i think yeah totally this this is the one that feels the most like a fairy tale because that's what it's like to have that moment yeah you know as a young person for sure I'm so glad you brought up the affluence because what really strikes me about this movie is how much it's about money. Like there's money yep. changing hands in so many scenes. And, um, you know, he mentions in the beginning that he doesn't have money for a hotel, which um, I find it, it's it, that's so like capital R, like romantic in a very cliche and cute way. Because it's mm-hmm. like he has to be this, you know, transitory, you know, figure that's roaming the streets and stuff. But I would say they're probably comfortably middle class ish, I guess. Um, but um, there's something so, like even the even like the money in this film, like it doesn't bring up all this like baggage from real life. It's also something that they almost have. It's like limited, but also endless. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. like, well, they're yeah, always like, able to like give people like the palm reader or the drunkard like money without stressing too much about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what's smart about the movie and what it gets right, I don't, I don't know if you guys have, have backpacked at all or anything like that, but I mean, like, I, in my life, have been, have been lucky enough to do kind of stuff like this uh, when I was way younger, of course. And I, I had nights like this where I had enough money to buy a beer, buy a sandwich, buy a baguette, whatever, but maybe not enough money because it was like a... A, a more popular city like Amsterdam, let's say yeah. specifically, this happened in Amsterdam, where where for me, where like, oh, I can't afford the hostel because it costs you know forty euro because it's Amsterdam and it's popular, mm-hmm. but I have thirty euro, and if I have thirty euro, I can get a beer from the cart and I can get it, you know, I can have a night and I can yeah, walk around yeah. and I can, you know, walk the red light district and be like, this is fucking demeaning and horrible or whatever, <laughs> whatever my opinion yeah. was back then. And then, and then, uh, walk around and go to the, you know, the hookah bar and the whole thing that gets it right. I mean, where it's like his money, he's, he's got, he's leaving tomorrow. He's like, you know, you yeah, spend the, the time, money. the time frame is crucial, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. cause you don't, you don't get far enough in the movie where it's a problem. Right. Right, right. And you cut, you almost do. I mean, literally like the, as it pertains to this thread of the movie, right? Like the, the climax is him literally swindle, not swindling, but you know, you know, smooth talking a bartender into giving him a bottle of wine because they spent the money they had on beer already at the, you know, while playing pinball or whatever. Um, and so you do get seemingly to like the end of that road, uh, or whatever, but but that is a it it's still an, an apt point because certainly for her it never feels like that much of an issue because like she's just gonna go and catch another train and like get home in an hour or whatever yeah. or you know. Well, that's why I love in the second one when when he when he makes the joke, which I, where he's like he's like, oh, you want to do this again? I'll I'll save all my money and fly all the way back here. You may or may not make the train. Right? <laughs> It's, it's like I mean, hey, it's it's the truth. It's great. <laughs> Where are you guys on Richard Linklater in terms of his career? He's he's one of my favorites. I mean, yeah. he's he to me, uh, he is he's 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 what to aspire to in 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 the sense of kind of what you can do with a good idea and a good screenplay. I mean, you know, go from slacker to you know, where'd you go, Bernadette? And I think. He's rarely made a bad movie. I kind of can't even think of 
I guess, you know, I guess the bad news bears or whatever, but I mean, honestly, I would defend every movie he's made. You know what I mean? If you, if you really asked me to. Um, so for me, he's one of the greatest. And, you know, I've been lucky enough in my life of, of being a producer and working and being at festivals. And stuff. I've been, I've been lucky enough to meet him actually and talk to him for a little bit. And he's like, you know, by all accounts, including my brief encounter with him, you know, the sweetest guy in the world. And I think, he makes movies that uh, reflect that. I think his, yeah, ki- his yeah. kindness, um, his kindness infects his movies in a beautiful way, and I and I really love that about uh, him. Yeah, there's um, Dan and I were lucky enough to be on uh, a Sundays with Kate episode mm-hmm. uh, yeah. where where we where we talked about where'd you go, Bernadette, and in, in with that movie particularly, I think the the other filmmaker that came to my mind when I think of Linklater is someone like Cameron Crowe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they both have, I mean, speaking to that kindness, they both have this quality that I think just, you know, you don't, you don't see presented as often probably because you have younger filmmakers coming up who have a different view of the world and of history and all, all sorts of things. But, uh, but there's an earnestness, I think, into their filmmaking, even, even in something like before midnight, right. Which is seemingly obviously way more cynical than this movie is about its characters. But, um, but there's still like an earnestness and an honesty in the presentation, uh, of those characters at that point in their lives. And I think, yeah, I think even, even in some of his, what you know you call them lesser movies or whatever um like the bad news bears or you know i i don't know where people like me like me and orson wells i think right right people go to and you know um the newton boys wasn't particularly well received particularly well the movie of like what if bank robbers were just really nice that's what we talked about i don't know i don't know if you've seen the newton boys Boys, it posits the questions what if (laughs) What if bank what if bank robbers were just really nice people? You know, that's that's kind of what that movie's about. And plus Juliana Margulies, that's like what the movie Yeah, is. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean like I can say that I'm an expert on the Glader. I mean I think I've seen a lot of his major works and uh, some of his lesser ones, I guess. Uh but I I I always think of him as a as a writer for some reason more than you know, a, a, you know, direct, I mean, I feel like with directors who are, you know, um, you know, who have such a like, um, or such a, such a creative force behind their films, and I, I, I tend to uh, not really pay much attention to the actual filmmaking, just because it's like, you know, you know, a Linklater movie when you see one, and uh, but I, what I was really struck by with Before Sunrise is just like how beautiful the filmmaking is. I mean, just the shot mm. compositions, uh, the lighting I found was so like, there's such a glow to this film. And um, yeah. also like, it's so it's the filmmaking is so like romantic in this movie. Uh, just some of the shots. I mean, you could really, it's what I mean, I hate to use this cliche, but it's one of those movies where I'm like, I would love to just have a like coffee table book of some of the most beautiful shots <laughs> in the film. And, um, and, uh, I also feel like there are so many moments in this film that are so, um, just like, it's just so evocative and, and so thought provoking and contemplative. Um, even just like so um 
like it kind of balances between being a sort of like mainstream rom-com you know the very cute scene where they're doing the phone calls i mean you could see that movie in like a j-lo movie right but yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in this one like you know there's a way you could do that where it's a little bit more mainstream a little more broad but in this film it's so much um it's so subtle and nuanced and there's such a like um there's such a charm to it that comes from really earnest and kind filmmaking and really just um, thoughtfulness behind the camera. And I think it's, I think something like that is helped along by like the quasi real time nature of Mm -hmm. the movie as well. Like, because you're not, since you're not sort of abruptly breaking time. I mean, obviously the movie isn't in real time, but, uh, but it sort of feels kind of like it is. Um, the because you're not abruptly breaking time and space to to have these conversations yeah um they feel all of a piece right um and they don't feel like they're set up in any kind of manipulative or um or kind of uh forced way right um even though even though you do have characters that come in and out like a gypsy palm reader and a drunk poet that would maybe seem out of place but the movie because of its like fluid nature yeah finds a way to kind of ingrain them in there in a way that like feels natural um and i and it it's it but the that fluid nature kind of does help you i think take it all in like you're mentioning like i i think all of these movies are movies that are like great movies to like have on Right. Like, and just cause it's just, you look up and you're like, ah, oh, it seems nice. Like just the, the, whether it's the, you know, the cityscapes or, uh, or just the general composition. Um, it, I think it, it, as someone who had not been to Europe until after I saw these movies, it is like one of those things that it just colors like the thing that you want, right. Mm-hmm. Like out of, out of something like that. Yeah. Um, you know what I find really amazing about about the, these movies and, and this one especially is um, even though it's like full of like nonstop chatter, nonstop dialogue, it's almost more about what they're not saying to each other. <laughs> you know, like yeah, they really right. like in the beginning, especially in, until the Ferris wheel and even even after that, they really dance around the fact that they're extremely attracted to each other, not just in the sexual or lustful way, but just in like there's a connection that they really feel strongly and they don't really say it until like, they kind of say it here and there, but even like, like even in the phone call scene, like they're not still, they're not saying it to each other. They're saying it as characters to each other. in This really kind of roundabout way. And I feel like that really carries through with the other films. It's like kind of, it's really kind of like blows my mind, like how much these movies are about, dialogue but also about like what's not being said even though they're Mm. so it's almost like i've read something really interesting um about it where someone was saying that these conversations are almost like silence because it's not they're not actually communicating what they're really feeling and in you know before sunrise and even before sunset it's that's you know it, it feels very romantic but in before midnight it's almost like the um like as you were saying, like the doom nature of their relationship is like how much they're talking around their issues and how much they are just mm-hmm. like really just trying to do everything but talk about what they need to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before before midnight, what's when you get to that end where they kind of have the knockdown drag out fight yeah, as a yeah. there's a catharsis to it, of course, because to your point, what we're saying, they're kind of finally saying all of the things that you're 
kind of have in your head throughout the whole trilogy where it's like it's painful but also but also at least for me there is a comfort to it as well because you feel this this weight lifted of like okay let's just all right you know what let's put all, all of our cards on the table where you're right i mean you, you know before i mean it brings it back to the fairy tale example which is like this the first movie is where they say the least to each other i mean they're kind of presenting this you know he's a cynic but also a romantic she's you know a realist but also you know she's got a romantic side as well and they kind of meet you know meet meet yeah, in the romance yeah. they live out their romance and it's they're not really getting to know too much about each other and then before sunset it's like they really they get there by the end but it's brief and the movie's over and it's 80 minutes and then midnight, it all kind of comes out. So it's really like, it's a it's a long it's a long uh, it's a long build, really. And it's it's, it's it is so very carefully calibrated, though. To your point, Manish, like even within this movie, so carefully calibrated to literally propel the plot, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the plot is propelled each time they happen to at least in some little way be like, hey, let's talk about what's going on here, right? And like. Like, cause that's what he does to literally get her off the train, right? Like, he's like, hey, we have a connection, right? So yeah. you want to get off this train, right? Like, and it's, you know, it's a bold move for him to speak so frankly about it. And it's obviously why she gets off the train. And it's, you know, it's, it's then them in the Ferris wheel. And then it's them in the restaurant playing like pseudo telephone or whatever. And then it's them, you know, that then leading to them openly, as openly as you get in the movie to them talking about it like in the park at night and ultimately on the train platform. And then the movie ends. Right. And it's, I mean, that's what generates the tension, right. Is you're kind of, as Dan said, like you're just, it's all kind of swirling around and you're like, and obviously, I mean, that feels like a dumb thing to say because it's like, that's what generates tension in any romance, like in any romantic movie. Right. Is that you're waiting for people to say the things that are on their mind. But uh, it is it to me in this movie in particular, and obviously, like Dan said, it's brilliantly laid out as over the trilogy as a whole. But in this movie in particular, it is like it feels like a a checkpoint of sorts or in a marathon where you're finally getting like your drink of water kind of thing. Yeah, where you're like, OK, right. and here we go. And on to the next one. And um, and it helps it, I think, unfold in a way that keeps you not just guessing, but keeps you. It gives you enough to satisfy you and enjoy watching these two people be together at the, at the very least in this uh, in this particular movie. Uh, I, I think what I find so fascinating about you know this about the romantic tension in this film is how much it really ebbs and flows in really interesting ways. You know, there are times when they're being so romantic with each other, uh, you know, when they're walking along the river and they are walking like a couple, you know, that they're like kissing and walking, they're, um, you know, holding, you know, they're like, you know, she has his arm in, in, in his arm. And, but then there are times when they're almost like afraid to touch each other. Uh, and I, I was mm-hmm. thinking a lot about the, uh, the scene in the, in the park you know, and how much mm-hmm. they're like the, they're finally, they're finally on the topic that I think has been on their minds the whole time. I know it was on my mind is like, are, you know, is this going to be sexual? You know, there's a way that it's not. And, you know, there's also, um, you know, like there's a way in this film where it doesn't turn into sexual where they just have this, you know, romantic night. And then, it, you know, you know, she's, she stops it or he stops it, but then they, 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 they consummate. And it's so, 
it feels like this like culmination of this whole night. And it's also like one of the more significant time jumps in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, let's, you know, it goes from like, I mean, it must be like what, two, three o'clock in the morning or whatever. And then the next shot, it feels like it's, you know, eight, 7 a.m. or whatever. And right, like his flights in an hour. Yeah, kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, yeah. That yeah. stressed me out a little. I'm like, oh my God, get to your airplane. It's an international flight. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> But it's such a like significant time jump, and that you don't see the um, the culmination of all this tension, even and having experienced the whole build up with them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a choice that I think obviously works well, and mm-hmm. it keeps it pretty. It keeps it pretty. Yeah, I guess it's conservative in that way, you know, in the sense of kind of what it's not showing you. But I think ultimately the movie is meant to be. You know, the sex is part of it, yeah. but not the most important part of it, right? And yeah. I think they, I would imagine Linklater and everybody discussed it heavily, right? Because that's, right. you know, just an important decision to make. So I, I would I would think that was probably why. But you're right. It's funny. It's like, it's it's fairly, it's fairly, it, 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 like Connor said, it feels fairly kind of, real timey and then you know with a couple little jumps and then that's a big one and then what's funny of course is in the next one they 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 stick just straight up 80 minutes 80 minutes in real life 80 minutes yeah, and, yeah. you know and uh in you know in the movie um but i don't know i think you know that last rewatching that last scene on the train you know it's very it's it's interesting to know what comes next when you rewatch. I know Connor, you'd mentioned not trying to think about it. Like we don't know, but like it's um it's impossible. I think once you've seen the yeah other two yeah, movies, though. it's not. There's no way. Like there's no going back. And like I mean, that's uh, that's sort of the beauty of the trilogy working, right? Is that like you get to these places and you watch this movie with a fondness, and it feels sweet and nice and sweeping, and but you can't you can't ever get back to it right and um yeah and i and i was trying i mentioned this earlier you know comparable kind of projects right to this the trilogy as a whole you know you think obviously boyhood of course also link letter that's the easy one but then you know recently departed uh filmmaker michael apted he did the up series which that's that's a documentary obviously but i've only unfortunately i've only seen a couple of them honestly but if i'm not mistaken it's Seven up Seven. through sixty three. I so I believe there's. Yeah. I mean, how many is that? I think you know that's like Eight at least nine. seven, right? Yeah. Eight or nine. nine. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that's that's maybe the 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 best example of kind of this feeling of growing with people and, and getting to know them to some degree or another. Um, but there aren't that many, right? I mean, you really, it's a small. You know, they're so hard to make and finance and produce. So. That that alone makes these movies even more special in that way. Even though they're fiction, right? We are aging with the actors and the filmmakers, so there is some truth, you know, in their in their faces and in their performances and stuff. And I suppose this would depend on how how important this movie is to a viewer. Uh, that this one, you know, the first one in particular. But like, it is what makes that second one. And ultimately, third. I I think now I don't want to diminish the third one because I do like it a lot, but. It is. It feels a little bit like the easiest of the three, um, because 
you have to make this movie, which which is sort of the opener and you're balancing all of these things that we've been talking about in terms of the characters and keeping it open, but making it satisfying enough where it maybe still feels nice and sweet. And then you have the second one, which is like, okay, well now you have to get rid of the open ending of the first one, but you have to find a way to still give those answers in a satisfying way. And it miraculously finds a way to do that, to like help us keep up with these characters that we got attached to, to some degree. Like I said earlier, like without fucking it up, which is Mm -hmm. crazy to me. Um, And I think a big part of that, like Linklater at the time that this had come out, he had said, uh, you know, of the open ending, like, Oh, like there's no doubt in my mind that they keep the date. Right. And so when I think of that, I think it's hilarious that Mm. like he muddles that answer with the second one. Right. Where it's like (laughs) one of them keeps the date. The other one doesn't. And of course, it's like it's it's beautiful to me to like see that second one because you're like, oh, yeah, that is the exact way it would have to happen because that's 100 percent what each of those people would do. Right. Exactly. Um, And I think that the. The manner of of. To to have to manufacture it in a way where, you know, obviously, to your point, Dan, it's a little different than the Apted series because it's, you know, you're, 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 you can, they can decide where these people wind up, obviously. So the decision to make, like, to ultimately make moves like that, where, like, to really seemingly think through, like, what would these people actually have done with their lives and actually, like, turn into um, without betraying, that honesty and like really in my mind like sticking the landing like it's mm-hmm. it's super impressive because it's anytime you know I, you know I, I think it's a reason it always pops up and should pop up in the conversations of like the great sequels of all time because like this one it's so it's so perfect and it stands on its own in such a nice way but then to even dare to follow it up um <laughs> the, the 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 hubris of that and to not bungle it to me is crazy. Yeah, and follow up in a way where it's not just oh they happen to meet in another city and they just do another you know like they actually build yeah, on yeah. the on the story in really interesting ways. Well, this brings me to my final question. Uh, you know, this twenty twenty two is right around the corner, and uh, would you want to see a fourth one? And if so. You know what would that look like, or where would it be set, or what do you, you know, what would it be called? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see a fourth one. I'm definitely one of those people who, you know, keep giving me. I mean, it works. You know, I love Before Midnight. Um, look, if I, I mean, it's funny. I they're all five star movies in my book. If I had to rank them, it'd be Before Sunset, Before Midnight, and Before Sunrise, which. You know, we were joking about it earlier. It probably speaks to the way my mind works as you get older, what you think yeah, about, whatever. Yeah. But it's funny rewatching it, uh, Sunrise. I almost feel bad about that because, I mean, they're really, I mean, that's the closest one, two, three ever, right? I mean, I think yeah. they're all great movies. So, yes, I would love to see a th- uh, fourth one. What would you call it? You, you got to call uh, it Midnight, right? Well, no. What do you mean? You, you gotta just call, call before, it midnight. Like no, they got in there before something. Yeah, before. Yeah, you got to keep the keep the before before. Didn't, didn't before, Hawk talk about uh, this at some or point? No, or no, or no. Switch it to he, after. After, like, he, after. Yeah, he was yeah, saying you, you call it after after midnight. Yeah, you yeah. call it after midnight, and then uh, yeah, I think it's just kind of 
does it become like 45 years? I don't know if either of you guys have seen that movie, right, but right. you know, like, you know, that's kind well, of what it, what I it had would in, be like, right? You what know, I had like. in my mind was like, you call it, you, like you call it midnight and it's literally like, it's Linklater's Amour, right? Like it's literally <laughs> just about like, and maybe not as like, you know, I say Linklater's, you know, emphasis there because maybe it finds a way to be a little nicer and right. sweeter and earnest, but, but, and maybe not as dour, <laughs> but, um, but something like that where it's like, yeah, give me, just give me the end of like them. And even, even if that's like the end of their lives or whatever it is, but in terms of whether or not I need that, I don't know because like you said, Dan, it's such a close one, two, three. And that to me is, is an indicator of like a great trilogy where it's like, you can, you can pick your poison, right? It's like a, it's like a, a Lord of the Rings thing where it's like someone might have a different answer, but they're all correct. And so, like, depending on how you want to look yeah. at it or whatever, right? Like, and to me, like, yeah, it, I, I guess you don't exists. want them to make it, make the Hobbit in that sense, right? I get a little nervous when I think about something like that because I'm like, oh, it does sit so perfectly as like what I would call probably one of the great American trilogies in cinema. Like, I I just don't think there's any two ways about it. But there is also that sort of James Cameron avatar of it all where I'm kind of like – well, if Linklater told me I needed another before movie, I'll watch like, yeah, I need another before movie. Like it's not, you know, <laughs> they managed they've managed to not fuck it up this far. So, yeah, why not? I think if they're going to make a fourth one, then they have to make a fifth and a sixth one just to make it two, you know, two, two trilogies. trilogies. And um, I'm trying to do the math of, uh, you know, 2022, 20, uh, 29, because they're like seven years or no, nine years. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, 2031, then 2040. So, you know, <laughs> that could be well, the more, I guess. And what's funny is we have not we have not acknowledged that they do have the one scene in Waking Life, which was kind of the inspiration for Before Sunset. So if you've seen Linklater's rotoscope movie, no, Waking Life, yeah. there's a scene in it in which Jesse and Celine are in bed together just talking about kind of, you know, theories, right? Oh, wow. Which, if you've seen Waking Life, the whole movie is just kind of, you know, discussions on What's theories. funny is that, I know it came before it, but yeah. it always does, it always felt to me uh, like... Right, like after Before, after sunset. before sunset, right? But before Before Midnight, like you could take that scene. Well, they're and, in bed, they're in bed, yeah, together, right? right? So, right. so... If you were going to do a Fast and Furious, it would be the Tokyo Drift of, you know, you would, <laughs> Waking Life would go after Sunset yeah, yeah. Before Midnight because they're in bed and they're, they, you know, they're, they're very happy. But, um, but uh, yeah, I think that's kind of an interesting bit. But I agree with you. If, if they were going to do another one, they got to do they got to do three more. Yeah. yeah. Three afters. Three afters. Yeah. yeah. Four just doesn't sit right. Like it just doesn't. It's not a neat enough number for right. me. And also we got to remember he's filming a piece of Mer- Merrily We Roll Along for the next however many years. Right, so right. Linkletter's busy. He's a busy guy. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, thank you guys so much for coming on and doing this with me. I had a great time chatting with you. Uh, where can people find you online? Tell us about the podcast. I'll, I'll go first because Connor's better at this than I am. You can find 
uh, me on Twitter at DJ Mecca, and I, you know, I'm, I'm covering a few Sundance movies. If you're listening, this probably is coming out after Sundance, but you can find the reviews and whatnot of the virtual Sundance. We have we're covering, I think, every single movie as a as a website. So definitely check out those reviews and. Um, yeah, and then we, me and Connor do the B-Side podcast. I'll shout out while I have the platform. I do a little story, po- short story podcast called Fathom uh, on, you know, anywhere, wherever you get podcasts. We write and produce little 10-minute Twilight Zone-y uh, short stories. I write a lot of them. My friends who write some of them. We have our voiceover friends kind of produ- uh, lend their acting chops. And so we've been doing a few of those. And that's just Fathom uh f-a-t-h-o-m on anywhere you get your podcast and then connor can tell you about the b-side which is the most important one yeah so uh you can find me on twitter uh at scruffy looking and uh i occasionally do some writing for the film stage as well that'll you know i'll I'll review things for them every once in a while uh and then as far as the b-side you can find that on twitter and facebook at TFSB side, um, we, as of this recording, we just released an episode with uh, Emily Kubankanik from Film School Rejects, where we talk about the B sides of Marion Davies, um, which Very is cool. which was a lot of fun. Uh, as you mentioned, Manish, we did. Uh, we just sort of kick-started a little sub-series we're going to be doing on the podcast now called The Final Frame. We started it off uh, with Alfred Hitchcock's Family Plot. With that, we're going to be, you know, we'll be doing the occasional episode where we talk about the final films from established, respected filmmakers, that kind of thing. Um, I, would, so that, I would bet Eyes Wide Jets coming sooner than either yeah, of I mean, that, that, are willing to admit. Yeah. Looking that's a forward to that. that. I love that movie. That's a big one for both of us. So. Yeah. Um, and the uh, what else? Oh yeah, and as of this, you know, I'm, I'm assuming by the time this drops, uh, we'll be doing a uh, an episode on Ewan McGregor uh, is our next kind of B-side subject. So that'll be that'll be fun. We got a couple other fun things kind of coming down the pipe as well. Um, and Manish, this is for like an anniversary thing, right? So con- congratulations! Yeah, two year anniversary of the podcast. Hey so. now, hey. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, really, really excited. Um, and I've been wanting to have you both on, and it's really a pleasure to have you both together. And I'm uh, really, really excited uh, to hear about uh, all the new stuff coming on, on the B-Side feed. And listeners, stay tuned for our discussion of Before Sunset. With me here, Sarah Fetters, who um, has graciously agreed to come on the podcast to talk about Before Sunset. How are you, Sarah? I am doing well. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited um, to talk about this film, um, especially with you, uh, because um, I believe when we were chatting off mic or earlier, you said this is your favorite of the Before movies. Is that correct? I think it's the best of the before movies, yeah. and it is it is my favorite of the before movies. But uh, you know, rewatching all of the before movies this week to get ready for this, yeah. this this whole series is just magical. I mean, what what Linklater and Hawk and Delpy do here is just beyond extraordinary. And this is one of the great movie trilogies ever made, hands down. 
I don't think there's even an argument. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I've been I've seen them twice now through just to get ready for this, and uh, it's so amazing how it's so amazing how well they connect with each other and how well they, they it's like it's almost hard to for me to say which is my favorite because I'm always you know I, I watch one and I'm like oh that's my favorite and then I watch the other one and I'm like that's my favorite and it's because they 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 work so well in concert with each other and I think they all work as standalone movies like I don't think you need to have seen any of them to watch one but they work so beautifully together and I just like want to like I want to watch all of them once I watch one you know like I don't really see myself being like oh, I'm gonna throw on you know before sunset and then not have the craving to go to midnight or, or sunrise but what is it about this film that you would say it's the best one you know what speaks well, I to mean, you for one thing you know so if you look at the first two films they are they, they they have like a one day premise and mm-hmm. they are in, in well all of them have a one day premise in and of themselves but there is an actual time constraint involved in both sunrise and in sunset and in sunrise it's that they take you know the majority of the day together they wander around vienna and then they they realize that they're falling in love and then like two youthful people they make some pretty rash decisions and leave things very ambiguous what's so magical about sunset is that it really does feel like two people coming back together in their early 30s, reconnecting and forced to do so in that real-time format. You know, it's, it's, it's a movie that hits the ground running, it's 80 minutes, and everything has to happen within the confines of that 80 minutes, and yet it still feels so natural and so effortless and so elegant, and, and you just can't help but become captivated by it all so that when you do reach the the ambiguity of the of the ending, you are just in pure bliss, and you don't really care what happens from that point forward. You're you're very similar to Celine dancing along to to Nina Simone with Jesse just sitting there enraptured. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I when I was watching the film again um, this this afternoon or, or this morning, I was just so struck by how this movie is able to sort of balance the, you know, high wattage romanticism of Sunrise, but also has the groundedness, the sort of uh, real world angle of, of Midnight, you know, because it, 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 it does both of those so well. It's such a, I mean, it's such a romantic movie and you know, the way they, the way they really reconnect about that, their night in Vienna and just like what it meant to them, you feel that that connection. You feel that you feel it so profoundly. But then there's also mm-hmm. all the stuff of, you know, real life. You know, like how <laughs> it, it gets in the way for them. You know, like he's married. I mean, that's one hurdle. And you know, she didn't make it to Vienna because of her grandmother's funeral and all this. And you know, of course, they have the deadline of the of the flight. And so there's always this like it's not just two people kind of wandering around falling in love it's two people falling in love but also having to deal with like all the baggage that comes with being in your 30s with all these obligations and all these things and it somehow manages to capture both both vibes of both of the predecessor and the sequel in in a really really beautiful way well, I mean, isn't that the difference though between being twenty-three and thirty-two? Yeah, I right, mean, right. when they're when when they're twenty-three, 
they get to they get to they get to dream big. They get to actually talk about all of that magic that they're looking for. They get to, you know, almost um, they, they get to wax poetic about things that they really don't understand or quite comprehend yet. But they want to sound like they do to make themselves seem even more important to this person that they're becoming infatuated with. And then when you get here, real life is, has happened. It, it's it's they've now experienced it. And so they still converse in the same type of manner, but their conversations now have a little bit more weight and a little bit more weight meaning because they have this lived in experience of the past nine years that they're forced over the, you know, over about 70 minutes to have to, you know, tell the other one. And yet they're not quite sure how much they want to tell the other one until they realize, oh my gosh, I want to tell you everything. And they do. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit, um, you know, I, I kind of love the the awkwardness in the beginning as, you know, they're kind of still feeling each other out and, you know, they're lying to each other about what, you know, who went to Vienna in December or, you know, did they have sex or not? And there's all this stuff. And then as the afternoon kind of wears down, there's just, they just start really opening up to each other in a way that I don't, I feel like it's even more in a way that's so much deeper than their connection in, you know, when they're in their twenties, because like, they're just, you know, they, yeah, you're absolutely right. They have about a decade of life experience. And, you know, I, I really feel for them as they, as like the veneer start to drop, you know, um, Jesse starts talking about his troubled marriage and how difficult it is. And, um, and uh, you know, she talks about her problems with um, with uh, uh, with relationships. So I think it's really um, it's really uh, fascinating to me uh, because um, they're just yeah they're I think they're they're the most honest with each other in this movie in all than in all the three of them. Well, I mean, I know they're really well, with each other in Night as well, but like I, say, I'm I think not sure there's a. Um, uh, I think there's a, an, um, I, I guess they're honest with each other in Midnight, of course, but I think they're also, um, they're, they're just like finding a way to like communicate. And I think mm-hmm. even in Vienna, when they're spending the whole night together, there's, um, I know there's, there's still this level of like pretending. And I think that really drops away in this movie. Well, but that's, I mean, and that's. And that's the the sort of genius of this trilogy and that, I mean, especially when you're talking about the level of honesty that you find in this film and comparing it to Midnight, I would say that both are equally honest, but it's a different kind of honesty because, you know, when you're dealing with Sunset, they are coming from that place of the nine years apart, lived experiences without one another, yet having in the back of their heads and then their minds that that they always know that they probably should have been together. When you get to midnight, they've actually been together. Yeah, they've been together yeah. for that nine years now. And they are having to deal with issues that have arisen because of being together. And so you look at the honesty as it happens in midnight. The thing about midnight that I think also makes it equally outstanding is that it's not afraid to be angry it's not afraid to, you know, have these characters actually fight with one another. It's not afraid to have them state stark, brutal truths, like something out of, you know, a Bergman film. Um, and 
And that's important because it actually makes their love that much stronger. So that when you get to get into the ephemeral ending that happens in that one, you do you think that they are going to come out of it even even in a better place because they've had this evening together where they've been able to reveal darkness. Um, where in the other two films, yeah, there's some dark stuff that is talked about, but ultimately they're revealing light. Um, and for me, that's one of those things that makes this trilogy so outstanding is that it's not afraid to make the viewer think for a moment or two that these guys won't be together. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I uh, I really feel like what I, what I love about this trilogy is how much it strips away the um, the fantasy, you know, of of the of their first night together, and you know, even in, even in this film, like there's this, it's the element of fantasy of oh, she you know saw the book and she read it and it happened to be going to a bookstore that she you know what I mean like all this stuff and and you know, you fall you fall for it because you want to fall for, i mean like the audience wants to fall for it because it's just so romantic and they can never forget each other and you know they have all the like but there's so much regret as well you know i, I love how much they talk about you know oh why didn't we exchange numbers and you know it's like oh we were naive and stupid like, it's, it's so it's so romantic because it's all this stuff of like just like regret and wanting to recapture um, that youth, and that actually brings me to um, something I really wanted to talk about is, you know, um, Celine saying that you know it's not just the book or their night in Vienna. She's really trying to recapture her, you know, freshness, her innocence, and that rom- like romanticism of you know who she was at that time. And I, I think Jesse has that as well. And I, I found that to be so sad. And it's sad in a beautiful way, sad or poignant. And so, I mean, I'm 32 now, so I'm like, yeah, I wish I could go back to being, you know, when I'm 23 and the world was, you know, ready for me to explore. See, I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, each film, it's each film really speaks to the viewer in a lot of in this in this myriad of ways. But you find that you relate to them most when you are sort of close to age as to where they are in that film because you start seeing new things that are there and you know when i was in my when i was in my early 30s you can't you are now at that place where you realize your life your life is now progressing you are living your life you are actually doing the things that you are probably going to be doing from now on there will be variations there might be some hiccups there might be a few changes here and there but for the most part you are now on a path and you're probably going to stay pretty close to to sticking on that path for the most part not always not in every way but you, but you but you still kind of you remember those those youthful moments where anything was actually possible where you told yourself you could go left when you knew right was the better was the better choice for you to make um and you just have that moment of one you know what if what if i did this what if i did that where if i you know what if i went here and that is what in a lot of ways they're dealing with in this film is that they know who they are at this point, but they also know the things that they've missed out on and the things that they still want to experience. And they're finding a way to verbalize that to one another, which whether they remain together or not might 
really help them moving forward. It's, it's such an exciting place for them to be in because they haven't they haven't lost that you know naivete, or they they can still like taste it. They can still like touch that naivete that they had, and they can also. But they also have all this experience, and now it's sort of like what do we do now for the rest of our lives? You know, like, how do we reconfigure, you know, ourselves to become the people that we want to be? And, you know, who do we want to spend the rest of our time with? And, you know, they, um, you know, the, the relationships that they're in, I find to be so interesting. You know, she's in a relationship with a war photographer who's never around, and he's in a loveless marriage, and uh, you know the only thing that's really holding him together is his relationship with his son. And it's you know I kind of had this thought of being like, how how accurate are these relationships to what they're saying? And like, because um, I'm thinking, you know, they because they had this sort of, they have this sort of like once in a lifetime kind of magical experience, right? And now they're kind of thrust together again. They're back and they're in the same patterns. They're, they're doing the, almost the exact same thing of just like walking around a beautiful city and talking about love and sex and careers and fears, whatever. And, um, you know, Celine has this line where she's like, I just need to get away from you because you bring this up in me. And I'm like, yeah, maybe they, they're like this attraction they feel is that there's some like, I don't know, metaphysical thing that brings all this anxiety and neurosis out in each other. And I, I and that they wouldn't even have been like, not that they're like lying about their like lives, but almost that like, are they sort of like talking themselves into all this dissatisfaction that they're having because they're with someone that represented something so meaningful at one point in their life. Does that, does that make sense? It does. It makes sense. I mean, that's yeah. always a question that you're going to have, especially as you're yeah. watching the film and, and seeing how yeah. they are moving around and dealing with one another. Um, I do think, I mean, I choose to look at it as they are being, that this is, this is truly who they are. They mm-hmm. are being genuine. This is, yeah. this is what these experiences have meant to them. And I think, I think it's pretty apparent when they're in the car and they really dig into it yeah. that this is this this is when they are being the most honest with one another. That the, these are this is the way it really has happened. This is how they are really feeling, um, and it's extraordinary for a variety of different reasons. Not only because of what they're saying and how they're saying it. But also just in the subtle ways that the two, that both Hawk and Delpy are playing it and recalling images and moments from Sunrise. I mean, if you notice that when she is really stripping herself bare, he, he comes very close to putting, you know, Hawk almost puts his arm around her. Yeah. He, he almost brushes the hair from her face, but he stops from doing it which mirrors moments from the first film when it's, when he does the same thing, yeah. but for a very different reason in the first film. But then it goes up another level when he starts talking about his marriage and his connection to his son and not wanting to put either he or his wife um, through a loveless, you know, loveless decades to one another. Um, and she almost does the same thing to him. And it just... It, it, 
you know, in that moment, it just almost breaks my heart watching her reach out to try to fix his hair. Yeah. And then just and then just pulling back, knowing that it really isn't something she should do, that it isn't appropriate. Um, it's just an extraordinary sequence and moment in the film. And so I do I do believe everything that they're saying. It comes from a place of truth. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe it, too. It was just I mean, it was just a question I had because um, I had to me like the i think the the sort of the the fantasy of, of vienna would just be so powerful <laughs> and you know and or powerful and somewhat intoxicating you know somewhat surreal and uh bewildering and i think you know they they bring this up in in midnight as well that, you yeah. know he says um <laughs> He says, like, I, well, I mean, he brings up Paris. He's like, I, you know, I gave up my entire life because of how you sing. And, you know, and I think the, the sort of dark cloud hanging over midnight is that they're just, uh, they have, they've had the reality of each other um, for, you know, nine, eight, nine years, whatever. And, uh, you know, the Vienna is just so further and further away back. And even, I think before, and I, I go back and forth on this, but I think I'm trying to figure out which one I find to be more like classically romantic, uh, sunrise or sunset, <laughs> because I think sun sunset is just so like it's just so beautiful. I mean, Paris looks beautiful. The way the sun hits them, the um, just the dialogue of them sort of realizing that this connection they had was actually real, and they've, you know, like if you ever thought about like, oh wow, someone's like thinking about me. And I'm thinking about them and that, you know, that, that like high you feel from that. It's so like, I find that to be like, it just gives this movie such a glow, you know, because they're sort of realizing that, um, you know, all this romantic tension was real. And it's, you know, they're like, has so hesitant to consummate it because of all the external stuff, like his marriage and her relationship and the airplane and whatever. And I, I know. I, I just find this movie has such a beautiful tension to it. Yeah, well, I mean, and it, it, as you said, it's it's stuff that actually does come up in Midnight because, yeah. you know, when you're watching them in this movie, you can tell that th- their connection is real. It's genuine. They both know it, but at the same time, they don't want to act on it because yeah. they don't want to ruin the fantasy that was Vienna. The, yeah. the, the 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 magic that was Vienna. And they're worried that if they actually go through with how they feel, maybe that will disappear. And so when you get to midnight, they actually have that they have to have that conversation yeah, yeah. as to us doing this. Did it did it ruin that perfect moment? Or did that was that perfect moment real or was it just something that we fantasized in our heads before we actually got together? Um, which is a very, which is a very honest way for this, you know, relationship to evolve. I mean, it it, it is how it would evolve if yeah, if you yeah. if you go if if these movies really do happen the way that they do. You know, it's so it's so brilliant to me how these films work together because they don't take the easy way out. And by they, I mean, you know, Richard Linklater, Ethan Hawke, and Julie Delpy, and, you know, everyone involved, like, everyone involved in the film, they don't take the easy way out by just recreating, you know, Before Sunrise twice again. Mm -hmm. They actually build this story and build this relationship. And, 
you know, I think in this movie and especially in Midnight, they really challenge the audience in, um, they, they, I think these two films really confront sort of like romantic fantasy and what we want from, you know, from these movies. And, uh, you know, when I was watching uh, Before Midnight, I was like, I just want to watch Before Sunrise again. I want to recapture <laughs> that, you know, that whole thing. And it's so like, um, it's, and I, I was like, I know I'm falling for, you know, I'm falling for what they're setting up me to fall for. Like, I'm kind of falling into that trap. But um, but I, I even was having that feeling with Before Sunset as well, because, you know, just that, like, you know, just their, their conversations in this movie are just so much, like, more adult, you know, and they... Mm-hmm. I think they say a lot of the unsaid things that they were saying that they weren't saying in Before Sunrise. Like, I think this movie is like delightfully more horny than Before Sunrise is <laughs> because they're so openly talking about like you know, their sexual attraction. He's making a lot of jokes about it, and they're you know, but they also feel that like palpable sexual tension. I mean, it's there in Sunrise as well, but in this movie, because like they've already crossed that threshold of mm-hmm. their first time together. And now it's like, they want to just jump each other again. <laughs> sure. But I mean, also yeah. there is just the, there's the stunning complexity of Delpy's performance in this film yeah. in that, you know, if you watch her throughout this movie, you can see from the very, you know, rewatching it. It's, it's very helpful in this way because you can see from the very first moment she enters the bookstore, she's excited, she's eager to see him again, and she's also terrified yeah. because she knows what that one night has meant to her and how it has affected her for this last nine yeah. years. And she doesn't want him to know that. She doesn't want to say that. And so you... you as free as she seems, as quick with her quip as she seems, as um, as truthful as she is with everything, there is always this sort of jitteriness to her that is that she's noticeably yeah. holding something yeah. back until you get to the car and she just lets it all out. And what's amazing to me is when you watch her in her apartment, that's still there. It's still there just a little bit. But then she sings the song, and it's like all of that is finally released. Yeah. And as you watch her dancing at the end, and as you watch, you know, making the tea and then bringing it over to him and dancing at the end, all of that tension for her is gone. She's free. She's loose. She's in the moment. No matter what happens from this point forward, you feel like she is going to be able to go on with her life in a way that she hadn't before, that she's been able to sort of heal that wound. And Mm -hmm. when she makes the quip of, you're going to miss your plane, she doesn't even notice his response. It doesn't even register on her because she's just so happy in that moment. Which, to me, makes that ending all the more beautiful because he knows he's not leaving. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, for her, yeah. she has been freed, and and it's just it's just for me, it's just a glorious moment. Yeah, it's such a that's such a beautiful reading of that final scene, um, and uh, you know, I, 
Julie Delpy for all of her beautiful dialogue delivery mm-hmm. and how talkish she is. She's a very physical performer. Just in, 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 you know, it really struck me in rewatch of this film is just how physical she is. And mm-hmm. every move she does is so beautifully calibrated. And it feels so spontaneous and in the moment, but also very, um, uh, she's so in control of it. And she's so, it's, it's, it's a really striking performance. And I think um, what I um, what I really love about Celine is that she's such a um, her like uh, like I, the more I watch these movies, the more I'm realizing like how much these are like actually her movies and how much of her <laughs> is like you know her it's it's her emotional de- like development in this film. It's so profound because yeah, I mean she has this like nervous energy to her and. You know, I love when she lies about um, lies about them remembering them having sex. I mean, it's, such a, it's, a, it's so funny. And then she, you know, she's like, you know, women lie about this kind of stuff, and it. She kind of plays it half like a laugh line, half like a just like release of like I don't have to play this part anymore. As actually you were saying, mm-hmm. she's so liberated. And um, you know, I also love that you know when she has the line, you know, you're going to miss your plane. She says it as Nina Simone. Yeah, um, and <laughs> and it's so great. I mean, that her little impression of Nina Simone is so funny because it's so like, like, girl, you're some like thin white lady. You are not oh, Nina right. Simone. You can try to like <sighs> shake your little butt as much as you can, but it's also this element of like she's putting on this like. Um, She's putting on this, like, she wants to have that sort of Nina Simone confidence, you know. I mean, she has this whole monologue about Nina Simone's performance style and mm-hmm. how cool and sexy and funny and in the moment she is. And she's embodying that in a way that is, like, you know, she just wants to be that. She's becoming that. It's so, like, it's, like, when I first saw the movie, I was like, why is the last five minutes of this movie about Nina Simone? It's so random. But then it really... It clicked for me <laughs> watching it again, and it, I mean, the way you articulate it, the final your analysis of the final scene is so, so beautiful, and so like it may, really makes me rethink the entire movie again. <laughs> I, I you know a part of me is I'm a little I, I, a part of me is sad that we don't get another one of these this year because it is nine years and it would yeah. be great if there was another one of these. Yeah. Part of me is euphoric. Right. that we're not going to get another one of these because I like it as this trilogy. I yeah. like it as this sort of self-contained triptych where, you know, you see youth, middle age, you know, youth, um, and then the, the, the sort of two stages of middle age. Right, right. Um, as much as I would love to see them at 50, I'm not sure I need to see them at 50. Now, that said, while these movies have pretty much very slyly and seductively, as you state, been mostly about Celine, they are still coming from a place where they are Jesse's. Jesse is the one that starts the story. Jesse is the reason the story kicks off. He's the one that meets her on the train and convinces her to get off. He's the one having, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the, the book reading and she comes to see him. He's the one, I mean, yes, technically they're on vacation, but he is the one that is having the writer's retreat when they, you know, while they are out there. 
I would love that if they ever if they did do a fourth film, I would love it that she is the reason the story kicks off, that they are in a European city because of her and not because of him. Like she's out there at a climate conference and she has, you know, she's like running the conference and and is like having to, you know, having to give this big keynote address or whatever. And she's she's obsessing over that. And then they have this day in whatever European city that is because of her. I think that would be a really interesting way to take the story. Not that I'm ever going to give Linklater, um, Hawk, or Delpy ideas, because they've already got this thing nailed. They're doing fine. Yeah. But I, I would still love it if, like, if they ever did do another one. It is because of her that the fourth story began, not because of him. Yeah, that, does, it, yeah. does that make sense? No, totally. Um, I, I might push back a little because... I think in, in kind of subtle ways she does activate these stories, but I totally do hear that. And I mean, my final question for you when we finish this would be about a potential fourth one. But oh, well, I'm, glad, I'm glad we I'm glad we, we got to it. Um, but yeah, because I don't know. I you know I had this discussion with uh, with my guests on the on the other ones, and um, I was just like, I don't know if I want to if I if they do make a fourth, I want them to do five. It, you know, four, five, and six, not just ended at four. It just doesn't feel <laughs> right. Um, but you know, speaking of the of the um, of the bookshop, I was Ooh. wanted to talk to you about the opening scene with the, the interviews that he's giving, <laughs> and um, you know, it's so funny because like uh, it feels so predictive of like journalism now. I mean, or even just like people, you know, or not just journalism, but just like how much we get so like caught up in like, you know, we need answers right now about whether this is real or whether this happened or, you know, what's going to happen here instead of just like living in this like ambiguity. And like, I really love, um, I love that scene because I feel like Richard Linklater and, and Julie <laughs> Delpy and Ethan Hart kind of poking fun at the whole discussion about, you know, what happened you know, in, in December. And I just think it's so, such a funny little scene. That's a little, little poking fun at the audience. <laughs> it is, but it also, it, it, it starts a theme that actually yeah. runs through the entire film. If you, yeah. if you notice, and it mm-hmm. also actually calls back to the reality. Yeah. Um, and I mean the shooting reality, the actual, we made the film reality of before sunrise in that, right. you know, you have these conversations that especially the interviews in the bookshop. And then later on, she's asking him, how did you really, uh, how did you end the book or how did you want to end the book? Did you have us back together? Yeah. And he gives her that long story about, yeah, we got back together, but you know, and it was passionate and it was amazing, but we realized it wasn't going to work. And then yeah. you know, we went our separate ways. And then my editor took that out because <laughs> audience because audiences want to believe in the love story right. and they want the ambiguity yeah well apparently there was an original you know there was you know both um uh link later and, and and kim Crison had had written an ending to before sunset before sunrise that was very similar to that ending yeah but they but they had if they had um <laughs> they were they had input that no we should leave things ambiguous <laughs> <laughs> because the audience will like that more yeah, they don't want yeah. to have the questions answered well it's so funny and then you yeah. and then you get to the end of then when you actually get to the end of sunset you are given in some ways the audience euphoric happy ambiguous ending that they've been talking about yeah. for the entire movie yeah without you even realizing it yeah yeah you know it's so funny i 
I hadn't seen before Sunrise in many, many years. And I swear I could remember seeing Ethan Hawke at the airport or at the train station in Vienna. That there was like, I was like, oh, is there like a, an ep-? like, I, I promise you, I can vividly see this like epilogue. And then, it, you know, and I watched the movie, I was like, I don't, yeah, I was like, oh, is it like an end credit scene? Like, what is this like a, you know, like, a, was it a like bonus feature that I missed? Or like, did they shoot it or not? I don't know. But I, it's just, because it's just so like, um, in Before Sunrise, it's so vivid how they, how Ethan Hawke, you know, describes, you know, his, his being there and. Um, it's it's so beautifully written and, and executed that I felt like I saw it, <laughs> but um, or that it, I guess I mean because yeah I just I remember I remember it but it just wasn't wasn't there but it's so um, I, I but, think you're absolutely right though I think that's a really great great read on the uh, opening scenes and, and how it like you know especially I love the background info mm-hmm. now, yeah I mean but now isn't it- what you just talked about there, but isn't that a mark of a truly great sort of ambiguous or unrequited love story? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you look, you look at say, you know, David Lean's, um, brief uh, encounter and, and you make up what happens yeah. in your head and yeah. you are sure that you're actually seeing it. You're certain that that is the way that it's going, except that it's not the way that it's yeah. going. <laughs> the movie ends where it actually ends or the same thing with say John Carney's once when he gets into the phone booth at the end, you, you you are coming up with all of these other stories of who he's going to call other than his estranged girlfriend. But yeah. that's not the story. The story is the story. Right, and, right. But, but you've made it all up and you're certain because it's what you want. It's what your heart wants. But what's actually there in a way is much more powerful because it actually keeps that love alive in a way that bringing the people together wouldn't. And that's what's so crazy about this trilogy is that each one ends on that note of ambiguity, but it actually does bring the characters together. I really ag- agree with that. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I find that as I get older, um, I really am more appreciative of ambiguity in endings. Um, you know, I love the movie that ends on a question mark or an ellipsis. And I think that's why these movies have spoken to me. I mean, especially, you know, watching them for the for this podcast um, and looking at them through this sort of analytical lens, like, I find it so fast, I find it so profound that all of them end with this element of mystery and mm-hmm. um, suspense. It's, it's some suspense, too, because there's also a version of Before, you know, Sunset, where it ends and um, they you know, he misses his plane and they hook up for a while and then he goes back to his real life and that was that. Mm-hmm. But it's so, um, I just, you know, I love, I love that. And I also love that it doesn't end on, on a kiss. You know, I, I, um, I love movies like when they end on, you know, one character and there's a fade out. Like, I just find that to be more romantic than if they have this, like, you know, if he gets up and kisses her and, and then it ends there. I mean, that would be, Nice, I guess, but there's something more beautiful about watching her dance and mm-hmm. seeing it from his his lens and um, just have it end on this, you know, touching moment between them. I'm I am gonna completely agree. I mean, yeah. what can I say? One of my favorite one of my favorite romantic endings is of all things the Mike Nichols movie Wolf, and it just fades out on yeah. N- Nicholson having fully transformed and running off into the woods. And the movie ends 
on Mich- on on you know flash dissolves of Michelle Pfeiffer's eyes, and I find that deeply passionately romantic. Mm-hmm. And the movie may be flawed, and it may be have some issues, and it may be a little silly in places, but it works for me because I am swooning at the end of this movie just looking at Michelle Pfeiffer's eyes and what is the possibility of what happens next. So I am complete agreement with how these movies work because there is passion in not having things actually resolved. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's, there's something, yeah, it's, it's that element of like, it's, it's, it's like in a horror movie when like they show, like they don't they don't show the monster as much. You just let her left to imagine, and like it's more mm-hmm. horrific when you like have to imagine it. I feel like in romance movies, it's the same thing where it's like it's more romantic when you don't have to see it and you have to like think about it yourself. And uh, yeah, I find that to be so um, so romantic. And um, also, what I find so romantic is like how much they missed each other in mm-hmm. New York and. Uh, you know, she tells that, you know, uh, I love when she reveals that she was in New York <laughs> and they were in New York at the same time and they might have missed each other. And, you know, she has a hilarious story about the the cop and the gun, which is like so funny and also very much like very pre 9-11. <laughs> um, and uh, like um, and then, you know, he has he says that he's on his way to the wedding and he. Um, thought he saw her on 13th Street and she says, I lived on 11th Street. You're just like, oh my God. Like, It's like they had to have missed each other so that they could reunite at that bookstore. In Paris. Like, it just had to happen this way. And uh, there's something so, like, so romantic because it, it recalled, it, I, I recalled his story of seeing his... Uh, the vision of his grandmother in the first film and how he sees he, he thinks he sees a vision of Celine on 13th Street and it's like this is it, it, it gives this movie just a little dash of like mysticism you know and I find that to be so like uh, yeah it just it just makes you sore it makes your heart sore because it's just all these things of like misconnection and fate and it had to have happened the way that it happens and that's the way life is. <laughs> yeah, that's the way life is. Um, <laughs> do you have any like favorite um, like moments in the film, or favorite lines, or favorite shots or sequences? Well, I think that I mean my favorite moment probably is just the fade out with yeah with 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 Celine dancing. I, I just I, I that just it just it makes my heart just like fill with, with joy when I watch that moment. Um, but I will say I love, I mean, the scene in the car obviously is really hard and it's heartfelt and it's probably the two of them at their best. They are both just magnificent during that scene. Um, but I love, I love the scene on the sightseeing boat. Mm -hmm. It just, the conversations go from serious to silly to serious to silly. Um, it feels very fresh. It feels very real when they talk about when they talk about Notre Dame, um, and then she reveals that you know it's like oh my gosh this is actually fun. I live in Paris and I never would have done this. This is a tourist thing, yeah. but I'm loving this. <laughs> I mean, it's just so lived in. That whole moment is just so glorious. It just it puts a smile on my face, and I I don't want that sequence on the boat to to end. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I know it has to, I just don't want it to end because I just. 
I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I think um, I think it's so it's such beautifully written dialogue and it's so well performed. And I, I just yeah, you just like you just feel that there's such like there's such a natural you know chemistry and um, both the characters and the actors and the dialogue is just so it just pops so well. Um, I think for me, one of my absolute favorite moments in the film is when they're walking up the stairs to her apartment. And it's like, for these two people who can talk, who literally can talk for hours, they're suddenly silent when they're in a place where they actually have some privacy. And it's that, again, it's that question of like, you know, sex or not even just sex, but just like, um, I think, well, actually, I want to ask you, like, when do you think that Jesse decides to miss his plane? I don't think he, I don't think he thinks that at the apartment, I think it's much before but or um because or like when do you think Celine guesses that he might actually miss the plane? I, I, I feel think, like it's something unspoken between them that they decide together. It's you know it's it's a good question and it's hard to tell. Um, yeah, I'm not I looking think, for like an answer, answer, but just like in your like yeah. You know. I mean, for me, it's just a case of I think once they're making that walk to her apartment, she's starting to understand that things could go in a very different way than what she anticipated when she stepped into that bookstore earlier in the day. Right. But she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to feel like it should go that way and she's not going to verbalize it. And it's not until that moment when, you know, of the Nina Simone, but also after she's sung the song, um, which again, if you want to talk about, you know, fate or magic or chance or whatever, she gives him options of songs to choose and he happens to choose the one about himself. Yeah. With I mean, no, um, yeah, no, like no indication from her that that's mm-hmm. the one that's about him. She just calls it a yep. waltz. Um, yep. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a really um, great, that's a really great point. Um, for Jesse, I think, you know, it's like, I think Jesse wants to stay. Yeah. But I do think it happens in that moment where he, I mean, and he, you know, like, you know how we all kind of sometimes in our lives, we purposely put roadblocks in front of ourselves if it's something that we don't want to do or if it's something we do want to do. Yeah. Where, you know, we'll like putter around and, and you know, m- miss a bus or, you know, we'll um, come up with obstacles that we have to overcome so that we can do a certain thing that we say we don't really want to do, but in the back of our heads, we really do want to do it. And so we end up, you know, and so you sort of force yourself there. Um, You know, for Jesse, he has sort of methodically, whether he's realized it or not, been putting in little, little speed bumps throughout the entire dialogue. Yeah. um, That are making it more difficult for him to get to the airport. Right. Um, now, does he do that on purpose? Is that something he is realizing? I don't think it is. I think it's something just subconsciously that yeah, yeah. that he's sort of doing that we've all done in our own lives. And it really isn't until she sings the waltz where he realizes what he's done. And so when he does say in that moment, completely at peace and and utterly happy with his decision, you know, he doesn't there, there is no ambiguity in what he is saying in that moment. And she doesn't even notice it. He's not. Get, he's you know, he knows he's not making that flight. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's something. I, I do. Yeah. I do think that he. I think it's. I think it's. It's then when he realizes what he's done. So yes, he makes a decision in the moment, but he's been making the decision for the entire hour. Yeah, I totally. I'm totally in, in with you there. Um, that's sort of. Yeah, that's that's exactly what my answer was. I think my 
my I think subconsciously I think something clicked for him like on the boat. I you know Ethan Hawke. I mean I we didn't talk that much about his performance. I mean I think he's of course he's very brilliant, but he has this one look on the boat that he gives her, and um, I'm like I remember seeing it being like that's when he that's when his subconscious was like you are not making that flight, and you just want. It could just be that he just he looks like he just wants to spend his entire life with her, and it's um, it's so. I think I you know I really do agree that there is this element of like I think he's making it so difficult <laughs> for him to you know make his plane by you know a going out with her at the first place and then you know the boat and the dropping her off at home and walking to the door and the song and all this is all these things that he's just laying him, all these like little breadcrumbs that he's like laying for himself to be in the position where he can miss his flight and be with the woman that he's madly in love with. And it's, it's so much more like, um, I love that it's so subconscious and it's so internal rather than him, you know, deciding like, I'm going to miss my plane and I want to stay here with you. (laughs) Because like, again, it's a whole thing of like, of what you imagine and what you're thinking and where your mind is going. And it, I, I think this movie rewards rewatches. I mean, all three of them do, but I think this movie really rewards rewatches because you can see these like keys, you can see these like things clicking as, as you watch it more. And you know, you see more and more of them, you know, connecting and falling for each other and, you know, the way they touch each other and the way they look at each other, you know, the hug she gives him is so, mm. it's so, tight and warm and loving and it's yeah and this movie is just it's beautiful it's a masterpiece it's a great i mean they're all masterpieces but this is like i'm like i'm talking myself into thinking it's the best one <laughs> um yeah uh do you have any final thoughts on on the film or on the trilogy as a whole you know i i, I guess the thing that the thing that i would just say to people that are curious about this trilogy is that it is it's life. Yeah. It is it is life in three pieces. In some ways it's sort of like watching um Truffaut's, you know, Anton Denel series or or, you know, Michael Apted oh, poor Michael Apted. Um uh, Michael Apted's up series in that you actually yeah. get to see people live their lives. It's 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 these glorious romantic snapshots of what it actually means to be alive. Um and that, for me, is one of the things that makes this such a priceless trilogy. Yeah, and I love that. And I love that we have sort of redeemed Before Sunrise at this point, which was erroneous, erroneously dismissed in 1995 as this a general 1990. I mean, a general you know Generation X slacker yeah. romantic comedy. <laughs> right, right. It's like, oh my gosh! For those of us that were of the age and watched it, we all knew it was not your typical. <laughs> I mean. I like reality bites. This ain't reality bites. Um, we knew, you know, we knew at that time that this yeah. was something special and different. It's it's unfortunate that it took people so long to catch up. But thankfully, that's what this trilogy has done, is that it has actually made people realize how great this was from the very beginning. Well, that is a wonderful place to end. Sarah, where can people find you online? What are you working on these days? Um, you can find my writing at moviefreak.com, the Seattle Gay News, and then every now and then in the Seattle Times. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, moviefreaksarah, so feel free to say hello. Um, other than that, I, you know, the podcast that I used to do bi-weekly with, uh, 
with Adam Gerke. Unfortunately, Cinema Squabble has been on hold because of the pandemic. So I, I bow to you to be being able to keep yours going and doing it so brilliantly during this time with so many great guests. Um, terrific job. But hopefully uh, we'll be back to recording our own podcast again sometime soon. <laughs> yes, hopefully, yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks again. I, I had such a great time uh, chatting with you about this film, and I'm uh, really glad that we got to do this. And and, uh, listeners, stay tuned for a discussion of the film. So I am thrilled to have uh, Mike Perez on the podcast to talk about Before Midnight. Hi, Mark. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, too. Yeah. It's yeah, the end of the yeah. day. So <laughs> the end of the workday, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm really, um, really excited to talk with you about before Midnight and about the trilogy, because when I was tweeting about the movie, you said that you had grown up with the movie. So please tell me your history with the Before trilogy. All right. So, I mean, I remember when this the first movie hit, I mean, I was about the age the characters were in. So I just kind of I was like, wow, this movie makes a lot of sense to me. It's like I kind of needed it at that time period, you know, and, um, and then, of course, I mean, you got Julie Delpy and you got Ethan Hawke. I, I was still yeah. kind of riding on the whole Ethan Hawke is so beautiful because of <laughs> reality bites, right? Um, but just, I was just in awe of like this indie film that I saw and then how the dialogue, I was so dialogue driven, so different to like what I had seen before, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get us, a, a, what, almost a decade later, you get the next film and it's like, I've grown up along with them and I'm seeing their, you know, what they've gone through and they bring all their adult issues into it. And then we get to before midnight and it's like another almost 10 years. And it's like, wow. And that one, and I'll talk about this more later. It took me a little while more to process because there were a lot of things there. I didn't quite know how to absorb. Right. Yeah. And then having seen it now, it makes a lot more sense. It's <laughs> like it's almost like I needed to grow up a little more to understand yeah. it more, right? But it just—it's been interesting, just how it's popped into my life, like almost every ten years, and and just where I'm at at that point as well, too. You know, um, but yeah, that's just, it's just the fact that you get a director like Linklater to put these actors together and and commit to a project like this and all they've put into it, you know. Um, I just I love that. It's like that to me. It's like that. That's like the heart of cinema. You know, you start mm-hmm. off on a project, and it's not just obviously something you're like, oh, my contract says I got to do this movie. You can tell these folks they put themselves into it. You know, they yeah. end up being creative part of it as well. So yeah, it, it absolutely just to me they mean a lot to me. And just the fact that I even get to come on here and talk about this, I was just like I was super excited and super nervous. I was like, oh my god, there's just like so much that I've wanted to say for so long about these films. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's so crazy. Like I uh, I had never seen uh, before midnight until taking on this this project with this trilogy yeah. and um i actually had never seen it before it sounds that either but um i i remember hearing some like i remember hearing about it being like oh you know it's 
there's this like long fight scene and you know it's really challenging and it's really harrowing and hard to watch and i was so pleasantly surprised um by even just hearing about it because I felt like it was such a beautiful and organic way to continue this series rather than just repeating the success and repeating sort of the format of Mm -hmm. before sunrise and before sunset. Like, I mean, I said this on the previous, you know, segments of this episode, but like how much they really build the relationship and build the history of these two characters and really make it, um, so grounded in authenticity and realism, ra- you know, and rather than just, you know, recreate that magic, I mean, this whole movie is about trying to recreate magic in a way that's so yeah. fascinating and so wonderful. As, <laughs> as hard as this movie is very hard to watch, and I've seen yes. it twice now. Yeah. And uh, it's extremely hard to watch, but at the same time, it's so, it's so like, fascinating to pick apart because there's just so many layers to it and there's so much going on and how it like builds like how much it builds from its the previous two movies it's so it's i think it's like brilliantly executed i mean they really could not have done a better job with it i mean it's i mean it's just beyond is beyond like excellent, you know. Yeah, I can't, can't yeah. even find the words to, to talk about it. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I get what you mean because it, it, I, I, I love that. Don't, don't, you know, and even though because I hear it from what you're saying, and and I'll add to that. Don't get us wrong in that they're still romantic, but they're yeah. like you're saying they're organic. You know, it's like you know a lot of these films and their happy endings. I mean, I'm a sucker for a romantic movie with a happy ending. Of yeah. course, you know, you, you want that. But there's something about this that also adds the realism of, like, what it's like to be in a relationship, how it evolves, how things kind of fall apart, how you can rebuild or not, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and just by the time that you these characters get this film, there's obviously a lot of BS that they just want to get on, put on the table and be like, okay, yeah. buddy, you know, it's like, <laughs> here's this, here's that, you know? Whether it's founded or not, but they needed to be hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the fact that like when I'm when I'm watching them fighting, even though these the, they're my age, I'm like feeling like no, no, mom and dad are fighting. We can't have this. You know? <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely is that um, that element to it, you know, because um, this is a couple that you want to see not only succeed as a couple but be happy together, and to you want them to have that like. Um, you want to ha- you want to see them as like larger in life and magical and having that like that like really just like strong bond together this like strong yeah. connection to each other that they had had and you know the first time I saw this movie I was really I wasn't disappointed but I was little I felt a little let down that there was like so much of like real life BS in it like yeah. you know custody battles and you know, yeah. taking jobs and you know like random cheating accusations and whatever and i'm like really this is what they're doing with celine and jesse like they've built up this 18 year <laughs> romance and now we're seeing them talk about like ex-wives and whatever it's so like i was like this is so weird but that's the genius of it right like yeah. that's the yeah. that's the brilliance behind it that uh, that's funny because that's when the first time I saw this, I, I you know I saw it like right when it was released at an indie theater out here, um, and 
which is the thing I miss going to indie theaters. So, but you know, I was, I was disappointed the first time. And for whatever reason, I didn't like it as much as I did the other two, but then having watched it again, I finished it and I'm like, that turned out more hopeful than I remember it, you know, but I think I, like you said, I was just so, um, kind of thrown off by that realism of like how things that they have to deal with. And now that they have all these different responsibilities and they're together and they're, they're sharing this life, you know, that, that they don't have the time for a lot of that romantic side that we saw in the other films. Right. Yeah. Um, because even into the second film, they're more grown up and they've already got a lot of those adult problems, but there's still that romantic side and they're in Paris. How can you go wrong (laughs) by being in Paris? Right. And it's already going to go up another level. Um, you know, um, so it just, it, it, it was, it was very, it took me some time to get used to this, but, but yeah, having gone back a seven time, second time, I absolutely I enjoy this one much more now. So yeah. I, you know, I, I do want to talk a lot, talk a little bit about the structure of this film um, mm-hmm. because it didn't really, um, it didn't really hit me until I was watching it again uh, today. Is like there's really like four main sections of the film, right? You have the car ride, you have them at the house, you have their walk, and then you have the hotel. And in my memory, even just from I've seen I've seen it twice in a week, but my memory of the film is that the like seat in the hotel takes up half the film. And when I was watching <laughs> it today, I realized no, actually the majority of the film is leading up to it. Yeah. And um, and I think like having seen it with having seen the this last act of the film with the or, sorry having seen the first th- the first three acts of the film with the knowledge of what's coming up, all the little breadcrumbs from the fight are, you see them so clearly <laughs> and how much like, like, you know, even with their, like, even when they're at the most passive aggressive to their least yeah. passive aggressive, you can see how all this is like building up to that last 40 minutes. Oh, and yeah. it's so amazing because it, it, it's like a magic trick and how this fight seems both totally inevitable and totally out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I mean, it's so great because like, you know, you can pinpoint when it starts, right? It's like when they get that like second call from the from uh, Henry, but um, uh, at the hotel. But then now, then you can also see like all the little like t- tension that's like building up throughout the oh, entire yeah. movie, and like the scene at their friend's house. You know, when they're having like um, talking about men and women and whatever, like. That 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 entire sequence has so much more meaning the second time around because you're seeing all these like you're seeing all like the ammunition <laughs> that yeah, they're building yeah. <laughs> to then unleash on each other and they don't even know it yet and it's like so it's like funny and tragic like they don't yeah. know what's coming but and yet, but they're still like building to it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, to me, it's like I, I, I keep seeing those moments again. Yeah, you're right. That the next time you watch it, you start seeing all the little pieces being put into place. And by the time they get to the hotel and you have that incident with the lady that, that is asking for an autograph. Oh, God. It's and, and, and I was just like, oh, I was like, that was super awkward. Right. Yeah. Um, and I can understand why she didn't want to sign it. But she also doesn't. It's almost like she's disregarding 
that the fact that they did have such a romantic past yeah, and that she doesn't yeah. want to be like, oh, well, that was me. And you know, I'm like, and I'm like, it was you. It's like, you know, and, and that's okay. You know, I, 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 I know she, I'm sure she's a very private person. And I get that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it, 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 it was hard to see her just kind of like not want to do that. But I get it. I, I get it where she was coming from. But yeah, it just yeah. made her really awkward. But then when he like kind of like, throws her into the situation i was like i don't know if that was the best way to handle it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know? yeah it's like that scene is so that scene is so great because um i i get it too that she wants to be private and i also get it that obviously you know the character in the book is fictionalized even if it's totally based on everything she says and has she said and done it's still fictionalized right like there's no you know like yeah. it's still a fiction i mean he, he doesn't even give her the same name right it's madeline yeah. in the in the book and so I can totally see that, but I can also be like, well, you know, this, you know, hotel receptionist lady and her husband, like, they have this fantasy of this, like, you know, power couple that had this amazing night and they wrote a book about it. And it's like, you also don't, it's, it's like, you don't want to crush that fantasy because this poor yeah. woman is just living her life. You know, she's not really, yeah, yeah. she's not doing this to like, you know, yeah. trigger you and, you know, whatever. And um, it, I, I felt like that the concierge lady, the receptionist, like, in some ways, I felt like she was an audience. She was, like, standing in for, like, us because we yes. want to have that fantasy. We want to see yes. them as this, like, amazing <laughs> power couple. And, yeah. and, like, this movie is forcing us to reconcile with that. And we, we yeah. really have to confront the illusions from sunrise and sunset. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes, no, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... Um, there's a lot of that in this film that, you know, again, just realistically as you get older and you're in a relationship for such a long time just everything that can pile up you know over the years and things that you know you may not think that bother you but then it, like something happens and all of a sudden it becomes this powder keg and you're fighting over it and yeah you know yeah. all this stuff comes out and it just it, it's hard to see that because there's some resentment there and I, and I understand where both characters are coming from and at the same time I don't like I, there are parts where, like, I'm looking at Selena and I'm like, oh, my God, don't, 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 don't. I, I, <laughs> it's like, I know, you know, you feel very strongly about these things, but it's like, you're also making this much more difficult, right? You know, but like, again, she is a very important things to say. She needs to be heard as well, too, you know, um, but it looks like there was a lot of give and take going on. And with everything that happened after the divorce and everything, it got super difficult. You know, yeah. that's always going to make for a tense situation. Um, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, seeing all that just kind of come to the surface and then it finally all comes out in one night is just super difficult because maybe these are things that they should have talked about sooner. You know? Yeah. So having seen the film twice, I came away with it. I came away from it with like two different readings of the characters. Mm -hmm. And the first time I saw the film, I was like, Jesse's being so sexist. Like, he's so clueless. Yeah. He's so oblivious. Like, he's like, you know, he's the villain, right? You know, if you want yeah. to be that, yeah. that ghost. But, um, and I was like, she's so right. Like, you know, this is all the stuff that women have to put up with. And, you know, whatever. And I was so like on her side. And then watching it again, I totally flipped. And I'm like, she's instigating this conflict. <laughs> like, she's not communicating well. Like, he's, you know, he's oblivious, sure. He's a little clueless. But, like, yeah. he's the one that's trying to, like, make it better. And, you know, she's like, you know, I was like, she kind of did start it, you know, at their friend's house when she, 
you know, you know, she gets really personal, and like he's just like reacting to her, and it's so interesting how you can. It's. I mean, it's so great. It's. It's such good writing and and acting and directing that you can watch the same movie and have like totally different reaction to the conflict within it, and that's what makes this one of the great. You know, I mean, like they're not married, but this is a great marriage movie because like mm-hmm. really no one's right and no one's wrong, but you yeah. every time like. You know, every time you watch it, you take away, you have a new reaction to it. I mean, was that your experience as well? Like, no, it, it it definitely is. Like I said, I mean, and and I didn't see it like days apart like you did. It, yeah. I mean, literally, it's been probably a good, I don't know, six seven years since I last saw it. Yeah. Right? You know, because I again, I was just kind of like the last time I saw it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go through that again. It was kind of hard to watch that first time. But then I watched it again and it's just like it was with new eyes and like I was seeing things I didn't see before. And again, you know, I just I, I, I'm much better with the ending now than I was then. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I'm glad. So yeah. Yeah, I mean it's so um yeah, it's I mean it's really just really terrific. Um what um What's your like? What do you think about the discussion in the at, at their friend's house and you know how they bring all these couples in and it becomes very, it becomes really gendered, which is interesting, but also feels a little, um, I don't know. It, it feels very much like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that has a lot to do. And, and it's funny. I I wonder if that has to do with the particular culture in that particular area, yeah, you know, the yeah. way that our people are brought up, they're bringing to the table a lot of these ways that these relationships have run. And like, I'm trying to think, what is the name of the, the, the older couple that, uh, Oh, not, I mean older, but the couple that like gave them the hotel room and, and yeah, they were staying with Stephanos and Ariadne. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, just looking at their relationship and the way that they're talking and acting in the kitchen and so forth, because we get a preview of that as yeah, well, too, though, yeah. right? I mean, it, it may not be what how everybody's relationship is, but it works for them, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and this is what Jesse and Celine need to find, too. You know, it, it's whatever it is that they, wherever they're going and however they're doing this, they need to find their own way. Because yeah, yeah. I, it's not going to be conventional, as we can see, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely not going to be, you know, oh, the man acts this way, the woman acts that way. No, I mean, they're just, you know, like Jesse's a bit clueless and Selena is very, she's a strong personality. She's really, you know, she can be very independent. There's a lot of things that she's had to give up to get to this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then that's difficult for her. And then, but. You know, and then there's now there's like the whole thing with like Jesse wanting to take care of his son too, which is I think where it all begins, where the fight really starts yeah. brewing, right? Yeah. You know, and and his intentions are are good. He does want to be their first son, you know, but it also means uprooting everything and like having them change their lives if they are going to do this, you know. Yeah. So it is something that w- if, if I were in her shoes, it would be like it would freak me out too. I would totally get anxiety about thinking about the fact that I would have to move my life to a whole different country if yeah, they were going to do yeah. that, right? You know, it's... Um, I hope I answered the question, by no, the way. No, <laughs> no, you did, you did. Um, and uh, I, I think for me, like, the... I think their whole dynamic within the relationship is... 
so fascinating. You know, I think many times in all three films, she talks about, you know, how she feels pressure to be, you know, capital F feminist and have an independent career and have the, you know, she's like, I want to be loved, but I don't want to be, you know, tied to some man or whatever. And I feel like she puts all this pressure on herself to uphold this very rigid um, definition of what it means to be, you know, a feminist, independent woman. And um, I, I think it's admirable, but I also think it really holds her back because it is forcing her to resist something. Um, it res- forces her to resist change. But I, on the flip side of that, I can totally see her point that, you know, he gets this way after his son leaves and he, yep. you know, it becomes a, a mood for him. And but it's like, you know, if he really, it's like, I'm not denying that he cares for his son and feels guilty about the divorce and everything, but yeah. also, like, he did choose to marry or, like, get with a woman who lives across the globe, <laughs> right? Like, you know, like, yeah. I mean, he, in some ways, I think he, I, I think he really does blame her for the fact that he uprooted his own life and he's trying to drag her to his life. But it's like, you know, honestly, I'm like, you know, this is a, this was not a choice. This like this was kind of a, like in some ways an easy choice for him not to make to like move to Paris to be with her. You know, at the end of Before Sunset, you know, like it leaves with that op- ambiguous ending. We don't really know what happens after that. And like little clues we get, we don't really know what happens between like that night in Before Sunset and when they you know, got pregnant or when they start ex- expecting their children. So like, I, I don't, I just, it just seems like I, I can see, I, I can really see both of this, both of these perspectives. Cause it's like, she's being really rigid, but he's also putting everyone in a very impossible situation. Yes. Yes. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, because it, she, she, it, it, her life is important, obviously, and where she's going next is important. Um, she's obviously about to like have a career change because, yeah. you know, she wants to continue doing what she, it, her work. She's obviously given up what she loves when she talks about like not being able to do her music, right? Right, right. So, um, but yeah, it's just like there is a certain rigidness there, and I understand she wants to to like hold those close to her because they're important she feels like she's going to lose herself if she just gives herself up to a man like yeah. you know and even if it is jesse who you know they, they they love each other they they obviously love each other but that doesn't stop her from putting up these roadblocks you know yeah um and and you know with the difficult situation that they're in it's like it's everything is just not conventional and and the how they've handled things the divorce you know where they're living now how are things are going what they're doing and everything i mean it seems like there is a lot of give and take and obviously that's always the way it is in a relationship there's that but again it's just like all that resentment that's piled up and it just finally comes out you know and they that this is something that they probably should have handled a little better earlier on so that it doesn't just all boil up to yeah. surface <laughs> once. it's a volcano basically you know yeah. and yeah. it comes out in that, that that hotel scene and 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 i have to say that that even if it is uncomfortable to have to watch that that the, how they handle it how they do it Having Julie Delpy leave the room a couple times oh, and come so back. The way that she, I love the way she grabs the key from the table. She yes, like slams yes. her hand down and grabs it, 
and yeah. uh, and then she slams the door. I mean, I have. I mean, I. I'm not too familiar with her work um, aside from these movies, um, but I have been consistently impressed with. I mean, her performances. I mean, she's so physical in in this movie as well, and just the way that she, um, just the way that she just like has all this like pent up anger and frustration, and just the way that you can just like hear it all just like like pour out like a volcano, as you're saying, and. Um, it's so like, it's so fascinating, and like the way that she—I mean, she really like owns the the set of the hotel, and she, I mean, she owns every set that she's in. Yeah. Um, like, I especially love her in the church, as you know, when she's being so like funny, but also like a little strange, and yeah. Um, and I mean, I just feel that there's so much like, um, there's so much like good like meat to her performances in 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 this movie, and how she's able to, like, um, go back and forth between, like, being really, like, vocally angry, being very quiet angry, being very, like, passive-aggressive, and I, th- I mean, I think it's a truly fabulous performance from, from her, and I really, um, you, like, I, you know, I think Celine's anger is something that really jumps out to you the more you watch these movies, because, like, she's, I feel like she's always angry, and, and I find her anger to be so fascinating you know along with that i mean there's the moment where when the fight begins you know they're both being very intimate we're seeing yeah. a window into their intimate life yeah. like more so than we've seen in the last two films yeah, yeah. i mean she's literally her top is off right and and they end up getting into the fight with her staying this way it's like super vulnerable and i'm like the fact that she's just doing this and she's allowed herself to be this vulnerable and we're seeing this as well i mean that's yeah she's something else i i i my hat goes off to her because it's like i you obviously we've seen them grow you know in each film you know but for me all eyes have always been on julie delpy and i love seeing her grow (laughs) with each film you know and and so She's yeah, she's absolutely she's a fantastic actress. I, I love I love I love how she pulls this off. Yeah, I mean it's truly great, and um, it's it's yeah, it's so it's so magnificent. And I think Ethan Hawke as well. Like, there's such a like, um, he's like both weary and childish. Mm-hmm. And, he's like, a man child. Yeah, he's a man child, <laughs> like closet ma- closet macho, as she says, and. Like he plays that like um, he plays that like cliche of this like writer guy who wants to be sensitive and progressive, but he has all these like um, you know retrograde ideas. But he's like really trying to fight against it, but like not quite hard enough. And it's yeah, um, yeah I mean he's he's really great. Just his like um, his like utter like bewilderment at what is happening at this night and how much he just wants it to be over and to go back. And, um, you know, one line that I, one line reading that I really love is like, um, you know, she's saying something along the lines of, Oh, like, you know, what is a couple's massage? It's so sleazy. And he's like, he's like, yeah, we don't have to actually do it. (laughs) And I'm like, it's such, it's so funny. It's such a good tension breaker because it's like, I mean, like every, I'm sure every, every person in a relationship has been in that thing where it's like, you guys are fighting over something that's like not like, we don't actually have to go to this party or go to this dinner thing or go to this whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, 
I mean, Ethan Hawke is Ethan Hawke, and like I've loved his work with uh, Linklater, you know, especially um, especially Boyhood. I think oh yeah, fabulous in that. Oh, but so these movies, movie. I mean, it's like really untapped. Like yeah. he really taps into this potential that he has. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's he. I mean, hey, I didn't mean to not give him his kudos because <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've, seen him, we've seen him grow as well too. You yeah, know, I mean, yeah. um, just the fact that you know he wasn't just a pretty face then when we got to see him in the film that you know the, the chemistry had to absolutely yeah. work from the beginning otherwise we wouldn't have gotten nowhere quick and um you know he played his part well and he is he's a romantic fool he doesn't quite know how to make that all work and he admits it he admits he's that yeah. he has his faults he's not obviously not perfect um but he absolutely loves her you know yeah. and he wants to make it work and it, it just it does it's it's just it to me it's there's just so many harrowing moments just having to watch them fight like that because it's like you don't want to see that but it's just it's also good because you're like well get it all out because i want you guys to make up and get back together again this is ultimately <laughs> where this is all headed you know it's like you know get it all out get all get all your you know your cut out because it's like i want you to move on from this or not because who knows what's going to happen next? We get another movie in what, like the next couple of years, and we see, yeah. are they still together? You know, or did they. Yeah, technically, did, the fourth one would come out next year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, even though there's talk about that, I heard that they even want to jump ahead a little further, but who knows, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's like eventually we get grandma and grandpa, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> you know, um, Speaking of grandma and grandpa, I, I do want to talk about um, Celine and Jesse as parents. You know, they so much of this movie is about you know doing the um, you know the stepson thing and freaking out custody and whatever. But we don't really get to see much of them interact with their daughters, and I find that to be really interesting. Um, and in fact, the, in the opening scene, there's like a couple instances of them being like kind of bad parents. Like, yeah. eats the apple. They don't they don't wake them up for the ruins. Like, it's like little petty things, yeah. right? And um, that like don't matter. But it's like I don't. It's just like it's it's interesting. And like they hardly, you know, when she's kind of railing against you know moving to the U.S. She doesn't really bring up the fact that like she also has to move her two daughters from you know their home country yep. to the U.S. And yep. granted, you know they're young and they don't. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're in school, right? But like, it's not that big a deal. But it is a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. to move, they, I mean, who knows if they even know? I'm, I guess I'm sure they know English, but like, um, you know, that's a transition for them too that they don't even really bring up. And you know, there's such a like. Uh, they have, they both have so much resentment towards parenting, which I think is refreshing to see because you know usually parenting is always like it's hard but worth it. But in this movie, I'm kind of wondering if they even like being parents. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the only instance we get where there is and and then I'm going to speak more to it like from Julie Delpy's side after this, but yeah, Ethan Hawke really wants to make the effort to be a father to his son and he you know he you could tell he's involved in his life what's important to him and he wants to be there for him you know and when his son tells him to not be there and i don't think it's because he's pushing him away like oh you've been a bad father go away i just like because of the obvious drama with the mom and it it appears she has a drinking problem and she's abusive there is 
that she doesn't want to have to deal with what's going to happen if his father comes. Um, and so that, and also the part of like, you know, you're, you're a kid and you kind of get embarrassed by your parents being there, even though you want right, them right. to be there, you know, yeah, there's that whole, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole having your exactly. parents come to meet teachers and everything. So um, there's that. But then we also have like, you know, Celine talks about this later, how like people assume that just because you're a woman, you come with this motherly instinct already as part of you. And she's just like, no, you don't. Like, yeah. I had to go through a lot to learn how to take care of the girls and you know it wasn't easy and you know but i and it's almost like she's declaring that she she was never really she never really got the whole parent thing of it she may have learned over time yes yeah but it wasn't something where like she automatically came with it because there are there are some parents and some people that just automatically know how to be a parent you know what i mean yeah. even though they're gonna screw up along the way because everybody does but they yeah, just yeah. come with this instinct to be able to take care of somebody younger than them you know yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, I really, um, I really do love how this movie takes on parenting and and really gets at to like the nitty gritty of that parenting isn't easy and it's hard to parent with someone else. You know, like how much? Of, I mean, there's so much of their discussion is about like who does what for the kids and yes. you know how they they both are kind of rewriting their you know their involvement in the family you know he you know she talks about his like two hour walks and he's like well you get home at 6 30 and she's like i get home at six and all this like dumb petty stuff that i'm sure i'm sure all young parents go through <laughs> um and uh but I, I i i really do find that to be very um very brave and very uh it, I mean, it just it just goes to show that like these relationships aren't easy, and there's really no easy answer to this. Um, and uh, I mean, I, 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 that that's the one thing I really keep coming back to with this movie. It's like how much of it is about the fact that there are no easy solutions for them. You know, like I we yeah. can we can go we you and I can go back and forth. The characters can go back and forth on what they should do, but there's really no way that any of this works out without someone getting hurt. And it's most likely going to be the kids, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I, I, I do find that to be uh, really in, intense and, and hard to parse through. And then to bring up all this other anxieties that they have, you know, they both kind of bring up um, infidelity. And, you know, without seeing what their oh, lives yeah. are like, yeah. You know, we only get this. We only get these snapshots of their lives. Everything else we're hearing is through, you know, um, secondhand, right? And uh, you know, uh, he brings up the uh, like, I guess, some ex boyfriend or whatever, and she brings up some, I don't know, like who that, some like Emily woman or whatever, and yeah, something about part of the book tour, forever. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, I love how they dance around. Uh, denying it or verifying mm -hmm. it, yeah, yeah, because it just makes it more ambiguous, and it's like it doesn't even matter, right? Whether they cheat on each other, it like, like doesn't matter because um, it just shows that there's this like there's a, a gulf between them, a gulf of trust, and mm -hmm. um, you know he wants to be like so progressive of like I don't even care, I know you're flawed, and uh, I don't I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it, it, 
to a certain extent, I think that if they talked it out, I think they would be okay with it. But I think yeah. it's the fact that they kept it away from each other. That's the yeah. big problem. Yeah. And it's just one more thing for them to use as ammo against each other. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, it, it, it's like, it's one thing, if, you know, the infidelity, uh, of course, it's going to be difficult to talk about. Yeah. <clears throat> they could have had an open relationship, too, if they had worked on it, whatever right, they right. wanted to do. Right. But. Yeah, no, just the fact that it just becomes just one more thing. Let's throw this into the stew because, you know, it's already boiling over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, it all comes out in, in that, that night. I mean, um, <clears throat> just I'm just trying to think of like. Aside from their fights and everything, and then everything we see, that obviously we're we're in, you know um, a beautiful setting, a beautiful yeah, Greek yeah. setting. You know, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think maybe the walks and when they're talking and they have there's that one middle part in the movie where they get to be alone together. That's probably about the most romantic the film gets, yeah, right? Yeah, because you know, you like you said, you have the beginning of it. Where, you know, you get an idea of what their life is like and, you know, what the divorce has brought on, the two daughters, um, you know, and then what's going on in their lives. And then we get to the actual setting that they're going to where they're here with these other couples and everything. Um, And then finally they're alone. And it's during that time that we get a little more of like them doing that the walking and talking and like sharing stories and you see the jesse and celine that we love right you know um they've left the world behind and but then it's like too much time alone leads leads to (laughs) to, you know a a problem so yeah yeah and you know um I, i i really do love that like this movie takes the time to acknowledge that like they don't that like parents and married people you know don't get to just kind of have nothing you know to do and or to have where they like i think they had there's a line that's like when was the last time that we had nowhere to be and <laughs> I, I i mean i really do like that they bring that up and how much like you know like they can fall back into that rhythm and they still have it you know they didn't lose yeah. this from each other because of um you know life or whatever like they they still have that magic they still have that capability to um just like you know talk about nothing and share stories and make jokes and explore the city and you know it's um it's not lost on me that this is the first of the movies that isn't really in like a city i mean they're in the countryside of greece and yes it's, yeah. it's when they get into that like town square area where they can like fall back into their rhythms and then once they get into the hotel it's like so claustrophobic and you know again i remember like first time watching this being like i'm almost disappointed like i want to see more of the sites in this area i want this to be like yeah. as much a travelogue of the cities as the other two films were yeah. but it's like well of course that's the point is like they're in this like not only in a hotel room, but in this very, like, um, minimalist, modern hotel room that's, like, totally um, different from the sites that we've seen in the other two films, right? It's, like, this very, like, kind of bland hotel that's, like, looks like every other hotel. (laughs) And, like, I mean, that kind of brings me to my next question is, like, um, what do you, like, 
how do you feel about the like actual like filmmaking of this movie and just the you know the, the direction that Linklater takes in the film compared to the other films um in that sense like except for that middle part even though like i said we've got a, a beautiful setting we're in a beautiful yeah. place um but it it is the least romantic of the three films, you know, yeah. and that's not a knock against it. Um, it's just that uh, not being able to focus on them, them two, like we have in the other two films. Um, there's that same magic isn't there. Yeah. And like I said, these are not criticisms of the film. It's just this is what we've been given now. Right. Um, and so that's but that's OK. It's like it, it, it is it does allow you to see them in a more real way, um, as heartbreaking as some of that is, you know, because mm-hmm. um, you want you want again i want a happy ending yes but i also realize it's like you know these characters have grown up and we are in a whole different spot than where we began at the beginning right and so you know and 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 the fact that i think there is a certain risk that they all three of them took to make this film this way you know yeah yeah. um and so i i appreciate that, that that he wanted to put this together and them as the writers thought yeah, let's do this. You know, let's take this in this direction and see what happens because I absolutely think this is where their journey takes them next. Yeah, I mean, it feels so organic and it feels so um, so intentional and purposeful. And it's like, I mean, it's like really kudos to them for, you know, really delving deep into the real life implications of the first two movies and really just like, you know, um, picking up on all the things that they, you know, all the, all the little clues or, you know, signposts that they left in the other two movies. And this movie does end with a callback to before sunrise, you know, the whole like time traveler thing. And um, yes. I, I, I find that to be so it, it's cute. Right. But yeah. Um, and it's like this movie ends on a similarly hopeful, you know, ambiguous note like the other two movies. And yeah, um, but I also find it a really a little depressing, a little sad, a little tragic, maybe maybe not. Yeah, maybe it is tragic more yeah. than because it's like they're both ending this movie in some kind of performance. You know, he's performing as the time traveler and she's putting on her dumb blonde act. And it's like, are they really, like, I guess I'm asking you, like, you know, are they really making a resolution to, you know, work on these issues? Or are they just putting a mask over these unsolvable problems? No, and that's that's a great question, yeah. because that's, that is, that is exactly what we see at the end. Um, you know, they're both putting on these performances again. And so are you, have you really thought about what each of you had a discussion about, you know, or your yeah. your argument about. Um, are you ready to face these problems and are you ready to do them together? You know, because you can only put on those masks for so long. Yeah. It's gonna yeah. blow up again and it's gonna be in a way where they're not gonna be able to fix it. Yeah. So you you have to wonder if they absolutely are going to work to get all these things now that they're out in, in the open fixed do whatever they can to be there for each other, you know, 
and 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 if not, then guess what? We're gonna get another divorce, <laughs> and then we get a, you know in the next movie they're not together. It's very possible. It's yeah, very yeah. possible. Yeah, but but you're right though that that was more in mean, my first viewing is what I walked away from. But I did. I'm I'm a little more hopeful this time. But still, like you know, now that you bring that up again, it just absolutely you have to wonder um, if they're going to be okay. And that is ultimately the question now. It's like we we we've been through them being romantic and finding each other again, and they're like, oh, they're together. To you know, years later, they are together, and now we're like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work out or not. You know, yeah, did they come yeah. all this way to find just go their separate ways because it's just not going to work anymore? Yeah, I mean, I. I... You know, I do love a question mark ending, and I think this is a really brilliant one. And uh, I, I also want to give a little shout out to I think their performances in this scene in the final scene is so just so nuanced. You know, uh, you know, Ethan Hawke I think is really straining, and he's really um, he's really putting on an act to kind of be the like goofy you know like you know let, let's just fix this we love each other kind of husband and yeah yeah but then that drops a little and he's like this is real life um and julie delby does this incredible piece of acting right before she um puts on the dumb blonde act she gets like five seconds of just like just her face puts on all of this like emotions of like what do i do here like you know what's yeah. like how am i gonna how am i gonna react to this and i think there's a level of resignation to her when she starts doing the dumb blonde act again. And um, I think that's so, I mean, it's so brilliant because it's like, again, it takes away this illusion of this romantic fantasy. And it's like, it's hopeful, it's optimistic. And Mm -hmm. there is that question mark of like, you know, they can make it work, but there's, there are no delusions about it. And I think that's the greatest magic trick of this movie is that it's showing, it's, it's really saying that there's no, easy ways out and they gotta they gotta dig through this and unpack it (laughs) yeah i mean look just the fact that we have these three movies that were like filmed so many years apart and here we are talking about them all these years later these two characters will forever go down in history as this magical pair for better or for worse right and it's like if it ended here i'd be like Okay, I wanted more, but I'm also glad that I got to see this journey because, I, I, again, it's still it's like these three movies mean a lot to me, and you know, just the fact that that people still talk about them, and you know, um, like they brought a Criterion collection of it now, you know, and then it's like they right, right. go a little more in depth, to, yeah, into the films and everything, um, you know, the fact that there when a new movie comes out, there's attention paid to it, like NPR Fresh Air did a thing for them when Before Midnight came out, you know, and um, it's just it, it, it they it's like carved out its corner into film history, and I love that. I mean, so. I, I I want I want more, and if we you know if we if we do get more I I will be very happy. I'm I'm hoping um, that whatever comes, it's you know I'm going to be okay with it. But I I just so hopefully don't get my heart stomped completely at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's a beautiful place to end here. Mark, where people find you online, and what are you working on these days? 
All right. So um, I am part of the Pink Milk family. And so um, we do Pink Milk After Dark on Fridays with me, Ryan and Emma, where we basically talk Star Wars queerly. Um, And then aside from that, I'm also can be found on a podcast called Taking a Number Two, which is a Star Trek podcast uh, with Dallas and Steve. Um, And, you know, aside from that, just looking forward to talking with folks like you about film and you know whatnot and whatever comes my way because I, I i do i love podcasting it's just to me it's one of the like ways i love expressing myself and talking about things that i love so you know which is why thank you so much for having me on i i really appreciate it thank you so much for being here i um I, I'm really, really glad that we got to do this because uh, I think when we were speaking about these movies, I, I could just sense your admiration and passion for them. So I'm really, really glad to do this. And thank you so, so much for, for, taking, for doing this. And um, listeners, this has been a very long episode. We've covered three movies, you know, what, 18, 20 years. So I uh, really appreciate you uh, listening to this. And thanks for listening. Have a great night. Sing you a waltz out of.